Everything is a okay. It's just fine. Sometimes it's the technology that lets you down just a little bit. Today it's just a slow moving wheel waiting, waiting, waiting to post. You got to make sure the socials are all showing what it is you're doing on the show today. Because if it's not on social media, it's not actually going to happen, right? Don't worry. We're all over the Facebook. Facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. We're on the Twitter machine or the X at Farwell underscore WR and Instagram, same handle at Farwell underscore WR. But you're already here. So you don't have to worry about that. I just wanted to let you know that's why I was just a wee bit, just a wee bit behind my time this morning as I made sure all of those posts completed. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Farwell, you could have started making those posts before 8.48 this morning. Yes, I could have. Yes, I could have. But some bad clock management by me on this Friday morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for making time for the show. How nice is this day? I think... I think this will be the end of Snow Mountain in our parking lot here at the boardwalk. I've been wondering how it's been hanging on as it got milder and milder this week. Obviously, it's cooler at night. And it was a pretty big pile of snow from that one snowfall we've had already this year. I I look forward to it being gone completely come Monday. Heck, maybe even gone completely by the time we're done with the show today. Every day when we start the show, as you know, phone lines are open to you. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. We will have dedicated time for you around 1215 today until 1 o'clock for free phones Friday, but you're welcome to phone in to discuss any of the topics we cover on the show today. As usual, thank you to those of you who took the time to send a message checking in on my well-being yesterday. Some who knew I was in meetings, I was seconded, if you will, for the day. Uh, Others who just thought, wow, maybe Farwell is sick again. Only sick in the head most days. But no, everything was fine. And you know how much I love meetings, right? Oh my goodness gracious, do I not love meetings one bit. (laughs) But as far as meetings go, yesterday... You know what? Not a bad two and a half hours spent talking about this show. And no, Mark, thank you for your email to Mike at 570news.com. I am not being offered a national show. They only offer that to talented talk show hosts. I am right where I belong in this chair aiming for mediocrity every day. But it was a great conversation about what we've been doing for more than six years now. And I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of excited because... You know what? They're going to be. I, I, I think we're going to mix things up a little bit. Don't worry; it's not going to be too jarring for you. But we'll just make a little tweak here, a little tweak there. I'm pretty excited. Start rolling out these little tweaks in the new year, and we'll see. We'll see if you notice even that the tweaks have happened. But I'm pretty excited about it. I think after you've done something for as long as you have on this show, and we've all been a part of it, uh, it's time to just. You know, throw a little monkey into the wrench, a little fly into the ointment and uh, see how it all works out. So listen carefully for that when we come back after Christmas. But as of right now, we continue marching forward in familiar fashion. And of course, you know what that means, right? 
Last night, we attended a little Christmas get-together, and when I got home, I flipped on the Leafs game to see them trailing Columbus 3 to nothing. I said, good, because I want to watch Canada-U.S. anyway. So I watched the Women's Hockey Challenge. And can I just say this? Like, when did Americans get so timid? Just out of curiosity. Because I'm watching that third period last night between Canada and the U.S. And I don't think the U.S. was even involved in the game. They were just kind of defending off the multiple attacks. It was an onslaught of Canadian hockey talent. And unfortunately, we got called for a goofy penalty late. And then the Americans won it in overtime. Great performance put on by our women's hockey team, though. And fantastic showing at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Loved every bit of it. Way to go all around. Too bad Canada came up short. And then when that game was over, my beloved actually flipped back to the Leafs game. And she said, look, your team's close. I said, it's 5-3. There's 90 seconds left in the game. Maybe it's closer than it was, but come on. Like, you don't think anything's actually going to come out of this that's any good, right? I must have forgotten that the Toronto Maple Leafs have on their team the greatest hockey player in the world. He gets a rebound. Far side, Matthew scores! Don't look now. 115 to go, and they're down a goal. Matthews had a great chance. Centering pass. They score! They score! Holy back it up! Oh, no, it's not unbelievable, Joe Bowen. You saw it. We saw it. The greatest hockey player in the world today. Austin Matthews scores not once but twice in that final 90 seconds. The Leafs come back from 5-0 down, 5-0 down to tie the game 5-5, only to lose in overtime. But, hey, after being down 5-0 after two periods, you will absolutely take, you will absolutely take, the single point that you get from making it to overtime. What a comeback. What a player. What a player is Austin Matthews. Huh? Exactly. I'm glad he's on my team. Certainly glad he's on my team. Okay, on a quickly more serious note, before we take a quick break and then get into a conversation about how broken our municipal tax system is, I think you'll find it enlightening. But you may have missed yesterday that... uh, Ontario courts have ruled against public school board trustee Mike Ramsey. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, didn't Ontario courts just rule in favor of a local public school teacher who had launched a lawsuit against the public school board? Yes. So this just speaks to where our public school board is at, but they have lawsuits launched against them. And one of those suits came from trustee Mike Ramsey. This one was tossed out. Mike Ramsey's going to have to pay the legal costs. The gist of it was Mike Ramsey believed he was unfairly muzzled, was not able to democratically represent the people who elected him because he was censured and forbidden to participate in several public school board meetings. This after he ran afoul of the school board's code of conduct. And let's be clear He absolutely did run afoul of the school board's code of conduct. I I suspect he was trying to see how far he could push it, and he realized not very far at all. And we have to recognize, too, that Mike Ramsey, having been on the school board for decades now, 
was a part of the creation of this code of conduct, which basically says, look, once a decision is made by the board, then whether you agreed with it during debate or not, you have to present a united front as a board. And you can't be out there on social media saying disparaging things. Fair enough. I I might question such a code of conduct. I think it's a little bit restrictive, if not draconian, in the way that it's applied and, frankly, in the way that it's written. Surely we should be able to freely speak about things we disagree with. However, the code of conduct is what it is. I'm pretty sure Mike Ramsey, the trustee, knew he was running afoul of it. I'm not surprised in the least that the courts saw it that way as well and tossed out the suit. I will use this, though, as another reminder that when you get the opportunity in 2026, you need to vote out this entire school board, okay? I'll remind you again when the election rolls around. I was actually thinking about this while walking the dog the other day, even before I knew this decision was coming down. You got to vote the bums out, every one of them, because... If it's one thing this school board is, it's dysfunctional. It hasn't gotten along. It hasn't functioned properly, in my opinion, in years. And and remember, the same chair that censured Mike Ramsey is the one who, in the former school board teacher's lawsuit, was accused of justifying himself with the public by assassinating the plaintiff's character, the teacher's character. That came in the decision against the school board and Chair Scott Piatkowski. And don't forget, when it comes to Chair Scott Piatkowski, so desperate was he to get elected somewhere, somehow, sometime. He ran like four different times, and he finally got elected to the school board by cheating because he used a provincial NDP mailing list, which he knew better than to use to solicit support, and that said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was against the rules. Yes, I believe you did. My opinion, you did. But you just needed to be elected somewhere. This is a group of bad apples. They need to be voted out en masse in 2026. Okay? I'll just put that out there for you to consider, and I will remind you as the election draws nearer. You have a chance to exercise your franchise when voting day comes around to vote out the entirety of this dysfunctional school board. A quick break. Back with a conversation about our municipal tax system why it's broken, and how to fix it. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Some of our municipal tax increase is already rolling in as it is budget time. More than 7% in Waterloo, about 7% at the region. Under 4% at the city of Kitchener. Go figure that one. But overall, at least one local councillor says this entire municipal tax system is broken. That councillor is regional councillor Doug Craig, who joins us for a conversation this morning. And let's just start right there then, Doug. How is it that our municipal tax system is broken? Well, it's broken because it's, uh, uh, it doesn't reflect the cost that uh, municipalities uh, are, have to pay. There, there are hidden costs, like provincial downloading as one example. And uh, because of that, uh, it's, it's unfair for municipal politicians and it's unfair for the public in terms of the expanding costs they have to pay. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think the other thing to look at is the fact that the premier has singled out Toronto and said, you get a special deal. And everybody else in Ontario has to pay for that. 
And I think I think these factors alone point to the fact that this is a broken system. And what the what the cities need across Ontario is sustainable funding. It's something they've been asking for for decades, and uh, they're not getting it. And that's why we're seeing a lot of these uh, enormous tax increases. So, are you saying then that? All municipalities, frankly, should get a new deal like Toronto got. Well, I, I believe they should get a new deal. Um, obviously, we don't have a Gardner Expressway, but we have other things that can compensate for that. But all municipalities should be looked at equally. And I don't know why they keep coming back to this Toronto issue. I mean, last year they gave Toronto $200 million for their budget last year. And this year, I think, uh, however you want to interpret it, it's up to $9 billion over 10 years. I mean, it's just so unfair to municipalities uh, outside of Toronto and, uh, and for, uh, just before Christmas. It's, it's really aggravating. Something that I'm sure you've heard before as well, Doug, is that there is, no matter what, only one taxpayer. So does it make any difference to people here in Waterloo Region, for example, if they're paying the tax via property taxes here in the region or some other way provincially to get this new deal? Well, I think the point being that uh, we should all know who's accountable for the taxes or for the programs. And if they're downloaded, then the provincial uh, officials need to be accountable. And they're not when it's hidden on a residential tax bill. That's the difference. So what sorts of things are you most concerned with right now? When you look around the region, we just went through a difficult budget year again. What kinds of things could be funded by another level of government that we are funding here locally? Well, I think think the uh, the province has to step into the, the mix here in terms of social housing. I think they have to realize on the ground the difficulties we're having with uh, sheltering people, especially through this coming winter. And I think the other major looming issue out there is the addiction problems that are so evident. I mean, we had 105 people, I think, last year die of overdoses. And we're not, we don't have a strategy for that from the government. Nothing is really happening to prevent it, and nothing is really happening to diminish it. And we have to work on those kind of issues. Do you have any sense at all, Doug, whether or not the province has the money to do this? Are there efficiencies that are lacking? Would there have to be tax increases provincially? Well, I think you have to look at the fact that the province apparently is is sitting on a um, uh, a bonus this year in terms of surpluses and ask them about that. But I think the main thing really is for us to sort out who's paying for what and to look at all municipalities in Ontario and on an equitable table across the province. And I think that's the major step that has to be taken. You mentioned earlier that this has been going on for decades. And it has. It, absolutely, it has. And I, I just wonder if like, we're having these conversations now because it's, it's come to a head. It, life has become unaffordable in the city because of everything that's been downloaded. Like, why has it taken us, I guess, to this point to really start making these calls to the province and to the feds? Well, I think you have to understand the fact that cities and, and municipal politicians are not in the BNA Act, the Constitution. We have no powers. We are, quote, creatures of the province. They can do whatever they want. So municipalities uh, are, are on the bottom of the scale 
municipal politicians are looked down upon by federal and provincial uh, representatives. They don't see us as equals. They never have. So for us to say, look, we need a new deal, uh, we just don't have that that individual power to do that. We have to collectively get together in Ontario as municipal politicians and start raising this issue uh, and being more assertive on a higher level. I know there is an organization, at least that pops to mind, like AMO, right. the Association of Municipalities right. of Ontario. This advocacy, I'm sure, is happening there. Is it going to make, like, are we making any traction here? Is anybody listening well, at Queen's Park? Well, they're listening because uh, the, the problems are really coming home to roost. And I think what you're going to see now uh, is a, a more reflective attitude in terms of helping uh, uh, municipalities. I think the federal, the, the federal politicians also, a lot of the infrastructure has been downloaded to uh, municipalities over the last 20, 30 years. These kind of issues have to be talked about in an open forum, in a public forum, and we have to decide, uh, how we're going to help each other, but especially help the cities, because the cities are the generators of the economy. And we have to realize that and come to terms with it. In fairness here, Doug, is there a little bit of self-interest at play simply because the property taxes and municipal politicians make you the most accountable person here and MPPs or the premier can kind of dodge that bullet, if you will. The people get angry and they go to their municipal representative. Well, that's quite correct. I mean, when I was mayor, we used to sort people out when they phoned on, phoned in, because if they have a problem, an individual has a problem in the community, first place they phone is the mayor's office or city hall. And we uh, we used to help people all the time in terms of, no, this is a federal issue, no, this is a province, we'll give you the numbers, that kind of thing. And, uh, and that's the kind of uh, cooperation that we set up. But uh, the public needs more support. And I think now th- th- these are issues that are on the ground that are really coming to a head. The homeless issue in particular, everyone sees it on the streets every day. Speaking of your time as mayor, just before I I let you go, Doug, your name came up in conversation this week when we were talking about Preston Springs, and somebody called in and said, I wonder what Doug Craig would think of this. And I said, well, Doug wasn't even the mayor when the demolition happened. You have to remember that. But he says, I still still want to know. (laughs) You're welcome. I thought I would, you know, correct the record on that. But he said, I still want to know what Doug thinks. Uh, What do you think of... of Well, I I think I've seen the proposal in the news media, and I think when a proposal comes public... It has already gone through a screening of all the different departments at City Hall, parking, engineering, fire, all of that. So it's really up to uh, what does the public really think in terms of uh, will this blend in with the neighborhood? Um, I think that the density can be downsized. That's my opinion. And uh, I think we have to look at the traffic issues right there in front of that building or that property. Uh, of Preston Springs because it's a very high volume corner and uh, I think that's the biggest issue they've got. Doug, as always, appreciate your time yeah. on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas. Take care. Merry Christmas to you as well. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Doug Craig, a regional councillor representing Cambridge, also, of course, the former mayor of the city, talking about how our municipal tax system is broken, in his opinion, and I can't say I disagree with that entirely and we threw in the question posed by you earlier this week what does doug craig think of preston springs we're here for you an update from the city news center and then let's talk about building wartime houses from a catalog here in canada this is the mike farwell show on city news 570 
Every day is a brand new adventure. Now, it's time to embark on this journey together. Trending this half hour on the Mike Farwell Show. On City News 570. The goal having a, of having a streamlined catalog of pre-approved designs is to cut time and costs from the process of building. Moreover, we're going to have a focus on home designs that are cost-effective, labor-efficient, and energy-efficient. We want to create designs that can actually be built quickly and can built cheaply without compromising on quality or sustainability. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that, of course, is Federal Housing Minister Sean Fraser in an announcement earlier this week that's generated a fair deal of buzz over the last number of days. A plan to open consultations early in 2024 at the creation of a housing catalog, much like we had back when we did post-World War II housing in this country. It's a way, Minister Fraser says, of accelerating the process by up to a year of getting homes built. Mike Moffat is the founding director of the Place Center at the Smart Prosperity Institute, pardon me, and joins us for a chat. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I got to think that this announcement from Minister Fraser is kind of music to your ears, because didn't you say this very thing back in the summer? Yeah, absolutely. A number of us got together and uh, wrote something called the National Housing Accord, uh, which had a series of recommendations, one of which was removing the HST on purpose-built rental construction, and the federal government moved on that uh, a few months ago. And this was, I think, recommendation number seven, reintroducing the the catalog of design. So needless to say, I'm uh, (laughs) thrilled to see the the federal government uh, take us up on this. Why is this a step in the right direction, in your opinion? Why did you recommend it? Well, it can really uh, speed up the process, as the minister says. So, for example, uh, we know that uh, we're, we're seeing uh, the legalization of fourplexes across Canada. But nobody really has designs for fourplexes. So what the federal government can do is work with architects, uh, create some designs, make them available free of cost. And what that does is it speeds up the process that a small Builder or developer can get these plans, uh, saves them months of architectural time and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They can build it right away. And because they're they're pre-approved for things like CMHC financing and insurance, it saves months in approvals processes there. So it's just a way of uh, significantly reducing costs and uh, speeding up timelines at the same time. Does the federal government have any authority to get into municipal zoning and make changes there? Not not directly, no. Though we're already seeing them do that with uh, programs like, like the Housing Accelerator. Um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing the federal government, you know, sign these deals with, with cities like London uh, to, you know, make these things uh, as, a, as of right. Now, many of the designs would already be uh, legal as far as uh, zoning and, and that kind of thing goes. So uh, it's not necessarily the case that all of these designs will require changes at the municipal level, though, though some of them very well might. Can the government itself, Mike, become a customer for these cataloged homes? It, it could. I, I suspect they won't uh, end up uh, building them directly. But what they may end up doing is working with uh, not-for-profits and social housing providers and encouraging them to, to use these designs as a way of 
of cutting costs. So, you know, we, we've seen the federal government in particular over the last six or seven years, you know, try to scale up, uh, you know, non-market housing, social housing, that kind of thing. And this catalog could cover a number of different designs. It could include things like student residences for colleges and universities. Um, and again, it could encourage uh, schools to use these designs, again, particularly if those schools are going to the federal government uh, for financing or insurance. If removing HST on purpose-built rentals was one recommendation, the wartime housing catalog, uh, number seven on your list of recommendations, what else do we still need to do? Because I worry a little bit. I, I understand the enthusiasm here, but this is still not going to get us, I don't think, to the 3.5 million homes we need. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, it, it certainly won't. It's a step in the right direction, but there's a lot of different things that we, we need to do. So we need to look at immigration reform in order to make sure that we have enough uh, skilled tradespeople. Uh, we recommend bringing back some of the tax incentives that were used to build housing back in the 60s and 70s. One of the big things that we need is just coordination between all three orders of governments. Uh, today, we're seeing the, the federal finance minister uh, meet her provincial counterparts. I think that's a fantastic thing. I'd love to see that on the housing side, uh, to see Minister Fraser work with his provincial counterparts and, and, and mayors uh, across Canada to come up with a plan. We really need a, a Team Canada approach uh, to the housing crisis. And right now we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of governments kind of make decisions in, in isolation and they don't always uh, work well with each other. I'm not sure I've ever seen a greater focus, quite frankly, Mike, on housing at all levels of government. Every time we hear uh, an elected official of any stripe at any level open their mouths, it seems that one of the things they're talking about is this housing crisis. How on earth did we get here? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think that's absolutely true. I don't think we've seen such a focus from governments uh, on housing since the end of World War II, about 1947 or so. The challenge is we just haven't been building enough housing uh, over the last 15 years. And In fact, uh, the situation we find ourselves in looks a lot like the end of World War II, where we didn't build enough housing for about 15 years back then because of uh, the Depression and the war. And at the same time, our, our population is, is absolutely booming. Uh, back in the late 1940s, that was due to all the returning veterans, plus a big increase in immigration from war-torn Europe. Kind of seeing the same thing today, where our immigration targets are increasing, along with the number of international students. So absolutely, this is a top-of-mind issue uh, for governments. It's showing up at the top of pretty much every political poll as a concern for Canadians and I think governments are realizing that if they want to get reelected, you know, they, they need to be listening to the concerns of Canadians. I heard you mention before the labor force, and I'm glad you did, because I don't think there's any doubt that, again, as enthusiastic as we can be about this announcement, we're still going to need the people to even prefab the homes in the factories and then assemble them on site or build, whatever that case may be. Does that necessarily need to come from... Um, the, the kinds of workers we bring into the country, or is there a greater emphasis required on skilled trades uh, in in our schools today? Little from column A, little from column B. Yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B. And you know, I'm the son of a high school shop teacher, so obviously, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm going to promote uh, more more trades in our, our elementary and and uh, high school. So, hi, Dad, if you're listening. Uh, but yeah, ab- absolutely, that that needs to be part of it. And I think as well that you know we do need to look at more towards you know manufacturing offsite, uh, you know, panelized components, that kind of thing, because. 
you know, on a, on a job site, you might get 40 to 50 hours a week, but if you can build these things uh, in a factory, mainly by robots, uh, you know, seven, seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day, you know, that's, that's going to really increase production in a way that, uh, you know, we can't do on site. Mike, really appreciate you making time for the show today. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for listening. Mike Moffitt is the founding director of the Place Center at the Smart Prosperity Institute. Uh, now that he's off the phone, just so it doesn't appear as though I'm currying favor, but I think you recognize by now that Mike is one of has emerged as one of Canada's foremost experts on housing. And as we discussed in that conversation, you go back to the summer, and this was this wartime home catalog idea was one of several recommendations that Mike and others made to the federal government when they went to that caucus retreat in Charlottetown, right? So several months ago, taking uh, removing the HST from purpose-built rentals was recommended. That's been implemented. And now we also have this wartime catalog. There are other pieces to this puzzle overall. Of that, there is no question. And so I want to try anyway to temper some expectation here. But I find this, I mean, I understand the enthusiasm behind this idea. And quite frankly, I share some of that enthusiasm. If you are going to accelerate, because this is one of the things that I keep getting stuck on, right? 70,000 homes just here in the region of Waterloo. Forgive me, I'm going to come into a whole bunch of the numbers here, but I find them rather overwhelming. I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine how our elected leaders feel about all of this. But the goal or the promise, the commitment here just in the region of Waterloo, across our cities and townships, is 70,000 homes by 2031. Now, I'm here to tell you that it's almost the end of 2023. So we've got seven years to go to complete these 70,000 homes. And that's just right here in the region of Waterloo. We heard about some big approvals this week. We heard on all news mornings this morning with Mark Douglas and Christine Clark, a 55-story tower, 600-plus units in downtown Kitchener. It's all well and good, but you don't build a 55-story tower in six months, do you? Right? And you're just at the approval stage right now. And we know, thanks to some really strong reporting from Jeff Uthet at the Waterloo Region Record, that we're actually behind in the number of housing starts we need here locally. So anyway, that's the one number, 70,000 homes just here in the region of Waterloo. And I know what you're thinking. What do you mean by home? Sure as heck ain't a single detached family dwelling that we've grown accustomed to. No, we're talking fourplexes. We're talking condominiums. There will be some detached single-family homes, but or maybe multi-generational homes, right? But it's an it's everything across the housing spectrum. 70,000 just here in the region by 2031. And then that's the number beneath the provincial target of 1.5 million. 1.5 million more homes, new homes in the next seven years. And nationally, we are talking about 3.5 million homes built in the next seven years. Dare I say, even if we snapped our fingers today and said we have the approvals for every one of those 3.5 million units of housing, 
we ain't got the people to build them, do we? I don't think so. So that, to me, is still one of the stickiest flies in this ointment. However, much like Mike Moffat just said, and he knows far better than I, there is reason to be enthusiastic about what we heard from the federal government this week. And I'll remind you again, Mike alluded to it, with housing being top of mind for elected officials at all levels of government. I said this the other day, I'll say it again today. The party that comes forward with the best plan for housing is going to win the next election. That is my humble opinion. But I firmly believe that. The party that comes forward with the best plan for housing is going to win the next federal election, whenever that election is. I think this is a pretty good plan by the Liberals. So, shot across your bow, Mr. Poliev, what's your plan? What do you think of the wartime housing catalog? 519-570-2545, star 570-1800-570-5715. We'll take your calls right after this break. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. We're seeing the federal finance minister meet her provincial counterparts. I'd love to see that on the housing side, to see Minister Fraser work with his provincial counterparts and mayors across Canada to come up with a plan. We really need a Team Canada approach to the housing crisis. And right now we're seeing a lot of governments kind of make decisions in isolation, and they don't always work well with each other. Mike Moffat, founding director of the Place Center at the Smart Prosperity Institute joins us to talk about the catalog. Well, the consultations on the catalog. I think the catalog will come to fruition. We know that the wheels of bureaucracy move painfully slowly, but I suspect that there will absolutely be such a catalog created of wartime housing, just like we had 70, 80 years ago now. And it will allow us to move a little quicker on getting housing built. Quick enough to see 3.5 million homes across this country built in the next seven years? Oh, such a big number. So I, I, I have a difficult time believing we'll get all the way there. But I don't see how you look at this plan as anything but a positive step forward. We'll find out. Let's go to the phones. Zafari, good morning. Good morning, Mike. I hope you're having a great day. I am, thank you. How are you? Good, Mike. Good. Uh, Mike, I don't think so. It's going to be um, the 70,000 or 100,000 house they make. Do you think it's going to make a difference? The reason I'm saying no, I, I don't think uh, not negative. I hope it's going to happen that the people, they have already two houses or one house, they stop buying. Every time they build a, you know, houses, who's buying? The people, they have two, three houses, right? And then... If government really care about that, they should give a chance to those people they don't have a house. I get it. So you want to take yeah investors out of the equation. It is not impossible. It is possible. Even with 10%, 5%, the government should help them. And instead of 20, 20 years mortgage, make them 30 years mortgage. Mm-hmm. Let them, give them a chance, man. You know what I mean? We have 30 so years now. How one, one house or two houses, stop buying, man. Yeah. You know, let everybody give a chance. Stop the greed. That's I, what I'm thinking. Okay. And it's not impossible. Sure. Zafari, you. yeah, thank you. you. Yeah, you too. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Appreciate all of that. And it just speaks to the complexity of the problem, right? I asked Mike Moffat, how did we get here? Right? And and really it was by not 
prioritizing housing for too long as our population exploded. But Zafari touches on something else here too, right? We know, we talk about it all the time, how housing has become commodified. There are people who have made and continue to make bank, as the kids would say, in the housing market because it is a very lucrative investment. If we took investment out of the market, well, Safari thinks that would be a positive step forward because people who need a home get squeezed out by the investors who then have multiple homes. I I can't help but think it certainly plays a factor in the overall market. Jake, good morning. How are you now? I'm all right now. How about yourself? Oh, not so bad. Good. So here, here's my here's my big concern. And as a 29 year old who has a family and who's not in the in the market just yet, is when when Justin Trudeau said that housing wasn't a federal responsibility. Uh huh. Right there and then was when I lost my complete hope for for housing. But you know what is this ability is is immigration and and the flood of 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 people coming in and then the supply and demand. So now. And what is affordable? Like, what what would be affordable to him and, and to his government? Yeah, that's a great question, Jake. And and I think we've asked that of many people. But I was just having this conversation last night over dinner, and we live in a region now where people who are employed in what we would think of as stable and and well paying professions like paramedics and firefighters and police officers who can't afford to live in the community. It's it's wild. Yeah, even nurses. Sure, another great example. Teachers, teachers. Yeah, and any anybody who who puts a a um, a positive part on your life, you know, can't afford to live. That that's extremely troubling. Jake, I wish you well in your quest here because at twenty, does it feel like does it feel pretty hopeless, or or do you think you got a shot here some at some point? At, at some point, there's always hope, and I think that's what I need to hold. I think every young person needs to hold on to is, is hope and, and to keep working at it and keep grinding at the stone because at the end of the day, uh, hard work mine. Good man. I hope it pays off for you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thank you very much, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. I think it's really interesting that Jake goes back to that comment from Prime Minister Trudeau. He was at a housing announcement in Hamilton, and he said, Housing is not, uh, the federal government does not have carriage of housing. Something like that is fancy language, but Jake's spot on. And oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) what is this? Oh, this is the federal government getting involved in housing because of course it has a role to play here. Ding dang it. Of course it does. Jake had a whole lot more faith than I did. I lost faith in Justin Trudeau way back in 2015 because that's when he said this will be the last election contested under first past the post. And what happened? We're still contesting elections under first past the post. I lost my faith. I'm sorry. I know. I'm, I'm a stickler, and I'm stubborn as the day is long. But that's when I lost my faith. Jake, I love your approach to this. Hang on to that hope. And it is, of course, the hard work that will be mined, right? That'll pay off for you. Keep it up. I wish you the best. $190,000 is the number that comes into my head. And I'm pretty sure I'm right on that from a study sometime in the past many months, $190,000 is the household income required in this region to own a home. And I can tell you right now, 
that if I had not bought my home when I did, I wouldn't be buying one today. Not with a required household income of $190,000. Tell you that for free. All right, we're going to take a quick break, get you an update from the City News Centre, and then what can make Punky Doodles Corners safer? Well, there is something. The question is, will we have the political will to get it built? We'll talk about that coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. This is where today's topics turn into today's talking points. It's local and it's Democratic radio at its finest. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It has been just over one year now since one of our own was killed in a traffic collision at Punky Doodles. We continue to press the counties for speed changes and a motion from all councils to develop a roundabout solution. This is paramount. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that is Wilmot resident Bryn Gladding, who appeared as a delegation at a council meeting earlier this week. It was Monday night. Five people appeared before Wilmot Council to talk about Punky Doodles Corners, share their concerns and ask for safety enhancements. And Bryn makes time to join our program this morning. Bryn, I'm grateful for your time. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, A roundabout is what you passionately appealed for on Monday night. Why? Well, we believe that the ongoing traffic or population growth and and traffic concerns that we have here have just exponentially uh, grown across the region. And, you know, they've been installing roundabouts everywhere and they seem to be working well. And we've been fighting for change here at Punky Doodles Corner for many, many years now. And uh, it's just really come to a peak where we, we can't deal with the amount of volume that's going through here. And yet uh, we're being told that there's not enough traffic flow and, and uh, that there's not enough volume through our area. Yet we see a much different uh, outcome for what's happening here. So a roundabout would be a great solution to helping the traffic move between uh, areas from the east to the west and also from the Woodstock area coming north and and south because it actually flows both ways throughout the region. And we just happen to be a little hub here that uh, gets all of the impact. Can you share, as a resident of that area, Bryn, the sorts of things that you've seen and experienced over the years? Well, we've been here a few years now, and just the amount of traffic in general has uh, exponentially changed. You know, we've seen the growth not only from the Stratford area, but Kitchener-Waterloo, and with everyone traveling, and it's much easier to travel with the vehicles that we have today and, and bedroom communities that we're experiencing just more traffic flow in general. And it you know, it, it comes in waves with uh, different hours. So we have morning traffic, people going to work and, and uh, at the end of the day. And it's, it's heavy all the time. We're, uh, we're experiencing a lot. And not only that, in the area here, we've also seen the arterial roads. So, you know, regional, I think it's regional road 33 or line 33 and Maplewood side road and all of these different roads that were always just back roads are now paved. And that has increased the amount of traffic that we get as well. Has the 
oversized stop sign with flashing light, which was recently upgraded, helped at all? Uh, well, yes. I mean, everything helps. Sure. But it's, uh, it's still not taking away the issues that we have. One of the major issues is the amount of traffic flow around the curve, which is, you know, Regional Road 101 or Oxford Road 24 to Tavistock. So that all kind of converges into the corner. But, uh, you know, the counties are concerned about goods and services moving around the corner. But the biggest issue that we have is that the traffic actually has to get out and merge into that traffic flow. So the one thing that the the counties have been telling us is that, you know, we need to keep that traffic flowing so they don't want to do speed reductions. And we've been calling for speed reductions for years. And they don't seem to want to do it. And it's very frustrating because everyone knows that the speed that people are traveling, we heard from the consultants that it's 95 kilometers an hour average or 91 kilometers an hour average. And over 105 is the 15th percentile or something where, you know, people are traveling that speed. And recently they've just installed digital feedback signs and it has made a difference. We've realized that speed reductions are working. And uh, if we could only get them to implement those uh, around the area so that all traffic flow into the area would, would reduce their speed, we could, have, we could probably reduce a lot of the collisions that are occurring because a lot of the collisions are occurring in the curve with uh, the higher speeds. Those speed reductions that you're referring to, Bryn, with that digital signage, would be from that 105 kilometers per hour that you talked about down to maybe the limit, which I believe is 80. Is that right? Well, it is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And we'd like to see the speed reductions down to 60 kilometers throughout the area. You know, the few seconds that will hold people up moving through the area uh, would not be very much. And it would also help um, the traffic flow. Like right now, for people to try to merge into the traffic, you have to hope someone's turning in order to get through there. But uh, we see it being a little bit detrimental if they put the T intersection in. That's moving all the traffic flow into one intersection. And with multiple lanes of traffic, you know, they don't want to reduce the speed limit with that, with that implemented. And therefore, we think that it's going to even be worse because now you're going to have large vehicles, farm implements to transport trucks, gas trucks, fuel trucks, all trying to get out onto the highway. And, you know, it takes time for them to get up to speed. And when people are coming around that curve, you can't judge how fast they're going. It's, it's uh, really not a, a, a pleasant experience to go through there, to be honest. Would those larger vehicles, farm equipment included, be able to navigate a roundabout? Oh, absolutely. They implemented one up in Floridale. Because of that reason, um, between farm implements and they have horse and buggies up there. And the one thing that we found out from the region, they sent us all the information, was that uh, they actually did not have as high a numbers as we do in volume, which is why they're fighting back against us about wanting to put a roundabout in. They say we don't have the, the volume. And yet it was implemented up in Floridale and Highway 86, because of the amount of collisions they were having, which is what we've been experiencing here as well. I mean, this last fall we had six collisions in six weeks. It was it's it's really um, stressful, honestly, to to put it mildly. The short 
term proposal for the area involves closing down a couple of the intersections. Would that suffice at all? Um, not, not at all. It actually forces and bottlenecks all the traffic flow into that one new T intersection, which is what we're concerned about. You know, with the amount of volume that's coming up high Oxford Road 5 from Woodstock, um, it, it's going to be very difficult when traffic gets backed up there. And then you have they're, they're, what they're planning is to put in turning lanes coming around the corner so you would have an off-ramp to the right to turn right onto Oxford Road 5 and you would have a left-turning lane, which means that traffic is flowing at speed by the, that those turning lanes. And by doing that, you know, you're uh, creating some visual uh, deterrence that people are now going to take risks trying to get into that traffic flow. And we're concerned that it may be more detrimental than just having the other two roads open. Um, but uh, that's why we're really forcing or, or pushing for a roundabout solution. I mean, it, it's really the only way to keep traffic moving. I can I can actually see it in my mind's eye, that traf- that turning lane that you're talking about and how that could impede the view of somebody that wants to merge into that live lane. Absolutely, and people come, heading south to turn on to Oxford Road 5, if they have a turning lane there, the, the traffic could queue up, you know, at, at rush hour, it could queue up, say, 10 vehicles deep to turn left. Now everyone heading, you know, uh, north on Oxford Road 5 and wanting to turn to Tavistock, if they're wanting to turn left, they have to wait for that queue to, to clear before they even get an opportunity to turn. So, you know, there, there's multiple issues that we see with the design of the T intersection, which is what's concerning us. I mean, as a committee, I mean, our goal is for public safety. I mean, that that's the end result we want to see. And uh, we, we just think speed reductions is the first step. And, you know, let's work towards that roundabout. It's, it's definitely a, uh, a feasible thing. It's not rocket science anymore like it used to be. I mean, they're being put in every day throughout the regions, whether it be uh, Perth County or Oxford or, or the region of Waterloo. And you just touched on something there, Bryn, that I see as really the devil in all of these details. And that is the number of jurisdictions that are involved in this one area, right? We've got Perth County, we've got the County of Oxford, we've got the region of Waterloo, and we've got the Township of Wilmot. How do those four entities work together to get something done here? Well, I I believe they've been working together, and I think they're probably working together quite well. I mean, it is a complex corner that they're dealing with, and we uh, were very pleased that Wilmot's really come to the forefront and and spoken out about speed changes and, and directing the uh, solution to be towards a roundabout. You know, Perth County sat up and had a look when we spoke at, at their county council uh, about a week and a half ago. And, you know, we're hoping that they can pull together and help Oxford as well to understand that this is the right solution for the corner. Um, but but I, I believe that they're, they're working well together. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's... Uh, it's a matter of getting them on the same page and hoping that they will make the right decision, not just a solution. And we're feeling that the T solution, you know, it's going to cost the taxpayers here, you know, a million dollars to put in a temporary, what they call a temporary solution. And we don't feel that it's really um, a good solution. Uh, we want to work towards the roundabout and why not 
save and put that money towards the roundabout and implement the speed changes, which they've been fighting against us for years now. I mean, um, as you've had uh, some people from the com- the committee on before, and, uh, you know, we've been asking for speed changes uh, for years and years, and they just won't do it. And we don't understand why. Uh, it's an easy fix. It could be done with the agreement of all three counties, and, and it would be, it could be easily understood whether it's a, a a good solution to do speed changes for now until a roundabout could be uh, implemented. Did you ever envision yourself, Bryn, getting so involved in community activism like this? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) My mother was on council for many, many years, and and I've got enough of of my share of council. But uh, no, I mean, it's necessary. The, the, uh, The community needs it. We need to have a change here. Um, it's been, it's been too long and too long overlooked. I mean, us as a community, it's, it's a complex corner. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, the people here are amazing. And actually the one thing that we found is that we've really come together as a community and really fought for this change. And we're going to continue to do that until a, a good solution is, is had here. I think that, uh, I think we're on the way to getting what needs to happen. I mean, we all want to live in this beautiful place and and have people enjoy it coming through here. Uh, Right now, uh, a lot of the people that drive through here, they think of us as the place where collisions happen. You know, it used to be known as the quirky name, Punky Doodles Corner. And, you know, now things have changed. And uh, we need to go back a few steps and... uh, be able to live here in some peace and and enjoy what we've got. You must have uh, felt heartened by Councillor Dunstall on Monday night saying it doesn't make sense to her. Like, why don't we just get the roundabout built? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we were very pleased. All of the council members in Wilmot were rallying behind us. I think they see the the issues and the problems that we are having here. Um, you know, one of the councillors actually spoke up and said, you know, it was his first driving experience was going in the ditch here. And, you know, that speaks volumes. I mean, everyone understands the corner. I, mean, I think in all three counties, you know, all of the councillors have driven through here on a consistent basis. So they know the corners. We, they realize that change has to happen. And uh, I think, you know, Councillor Dunstall was a good advocate for us. I that we've, we've had many... Even even in Perth, we know that there's many there, and in Oxford, you know, there's many that would like to see a roundabout implemented. But the problem is, is you know, you have to have a majority of people move, put the motion forward to do that. And, you know, we want to see a solution, not just a quick solution here. I mean, we want them to think about this and, and spend their money wisely, but also give us uh, the change we need. Bryn, I admire your advocacy, and I really appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bryn Gladding, he is a Wilmot Township Punky Doodles Corners resident, and he appeared as one of five delegations before Wilmot Council on Monday night to talk about what is needed. And is it just me, or is that just too much common sense? for one conversation. Just reduce the speed limit until you get the roundabout built. And this is me. 
the guy who hates roundabouts, you know that. But if ever there was an area that would benefit from a roundabout, it's this dog's breakfast of four or five different roads coming together and the the sheer danger that exists. So let's just do what Bryn says. It should be the stroke of a pen, shouldn't it? Reduce the speed from 80 to 60 and then begin work now on the environmental assessments and whatever has to happen to get a roundabout in place. I think one of the previous estimates we heard was 10 years from date. So, you know, 2033, we could have a roundabout in place. That's 10 years, then you better slow the cars down. How about that? Again, does this just make too much sense? Reduce the speeds now until you get this roundabout in place. And by the way, when the roundabout's there, the speeds are going to need to be slower anyway. I don't know why we can't do this. But maybe I'm missing something. Your thoughts always welcome. You can tell me what I'm missing. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Your calls right after this on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. We've been asking for speed changes for years and years, and they just won't do it. And we don't understand why. It's an easy fix. It could be done with the agreement of all three counties. And it could be easily understood whether it's a good solution to do speed changes for now until a roundabout could be implemented. Bryn Gladding is a resident of Punky Doodles Corners. He appeared before Wilmot Council on Monday night. He said, listen, what we need here is a roundabout. And until that time arrives, when the roundabout can be constructed, let's lower the speeds, okay? We need to go from 80 to 60. I see this move, a reduction of the speed limit, as being a simple stroke of a pen. So I don't know why we would resist, why we couldn't do that almost immediately. But maybe I'm missing something here. Let's go to the phones, hear from you. Shane, good morning. Good morning, Mike. I know exactly what you're missing on all of this. Okay. It's called common sense. It's well, all common sense. So, you know, am I missing Not, it or is somebody else missing no, it? No, no, no. Somebody else is obviously missing it. But, I mean, yeah, you can reduce the speed all you want. You know as well as I do, you've got the Iron Needles racetrack with 15 million bloody roundabouts down it, and you can't tell me that people are going to slow down to 60 going through there. They wind up still going at, you know, 80, 80 kilometers an hour. My, my backyard backs onto it, and you hear it all summer long, the cars that are souped up racing around out there, doing all their little loop-de-loops around these um, these uh, roundabouts, and then you're going to have the ones that are poorly constructed with all that wonderful uh, vegetation in the middle and the crosswalks there. It's, it, it's a simple thing. Yeah, slow the traffic down. Maybe slow it down enough that, you know, you have to do the traffic calming. I don't get out that way very often. I've been through there a few times. So I do sympathize with the residents out there because it is. It's very quick through there, and you do take a chance trying to get into traffic. You sure do. Shane, I appreciate the call, and and I get where you're coming from for sure. But in listening to Bryn talk about the digital signage that keeps people from doing 105 and actually slows them down to 80, I guess the idea would be, and, and how much that's improved conditions. So if you post it at 60, maybe they'll only be doing 80. But where you're coming from, I completely understand. Kathy, good morning. Good morning. As a resident of, in the south end area of Oxford Road 5, I can tell you what's going up there hitting the Punky Doodles corners. 
an awful lot of rush hour traffic, as the uh, Wilmot resident mentioned, and in the daytime, a lot of very large transport trucks. I mean, 401-type transports. They're very heavy. Oxford Road 5 was the township road that was paved over, but it has not been redone to the standards to have all the heavy truck traffic on it. And Oxford Road is planning somewhere along the line to tear that Oxford Road up completely and redo it. It does not have a good enough roadbed for a lot of the changes that could be done on some of these things. As far as that intersection is concerned, I will not go there anymore. I avoid it. I go out of my way to avoid it. They are exactly correct about the speeders coming around that bend, and you cannot see them. Um, the other concern, when they put those turn lanes in, if you're coming um, from the Highway 7 and 8 and want to turn left onto Oxford Road 5 and have a turn lane there, with the configuration of the curve, you're going to have traffic coming straight through and then somebody beside it turning right. I don't think that's going to be a very good sight line, especially when you have the big, long trucks coming. Yeah, for sure, Kathy. And I'm sorry, i got to cut you because we got to get to the news, but you also describe it very well. I, I hope we can just reduce the speed limit. It's a great starting point, and it should be pretty darn easy from where I'm sitting. An update from the City News Center, and then are, are somebody trying to make Blue Jays fans feel better? Like, it's okay that, that we lost out on Shohei Otani, right? Right? It's okay. It's fine that he's a Dodger. We'll talk about it next. On the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. Do you remember what you were doing a week ago today? I'll bet, I will bet, that a week ago today, you, like so many other Toronto Blue Jays fans, were following a private plane's path from Anaheim, California to Toronto. You were wondering who was going to dine out at a sushi restaurant in downtown Toronto what was this all about anyway? And and how much longer would we have to wait for the Toronto Blue Jays to unveil their newest player, Shohei Otani? Oh, what a day it was, huh? I mean, there was a whole lot of misinformation attached to it, but what a day. There was so much buzz. We all know how it ended, and it certainly didn't end in the Blue Jays' favor. So what now? What lessons can we learn from this? Ryan Clutterbuck has a few ideas. He's an assistant professor of sport management at Brock University, joins the conversation. Ryan, good morning. Mike, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Glad to hear it. How was your Friday last? I mean, what were you, were you following the flight path and all this other stuff? No, so I wasn't following the flight path, but I have to admit I was, I was caught up in the excitement. Um, And I think I probably convinced myself like, like so many Jays fans out there, that it was imminent, that it was going to happen. Um, largely because, you know, I was looking at and reading about, um, being convinced by the fact that Rogers was about to have, you know, in a couple of years, an extra $500 million to play with uh, by virtue of those NHL rights going away. And so it just seemed like a no-brainer, and it was, inev- it was inevitable at that point. 
I, I'm obviously, with, obviously it wasn't, <laughs> but I'm with you a hundred percent, right? And and I should tell you that part of my duties on this radio station are broadcasting hockey games. And even though I was at the hockey rink last Friday night, we were still all talking about Otani. That's how much I was captivated by all of it as well. And in fairness, for good reason, right? Like it would make sense why Toronto would want to have such a player. Well, obviously, right? He's an outstanding uh, talent, one of a kind in so many ways. Um, and this is sort of, you know, this gets into one of the issues that uh, that I tried to explore in terms of, you know, making sense of what had happened, um, and that being failing to correct for a skewed vision, which is the idea that in a negotiation such as the Jays would have been uh, going through with with Otani, there's a tendency to to just think about things from your own side, right? And so if you're a Jays fan out there, like like I was on Friday, you're sort of piecing things together and you're thinking about how it makes sense, but only from your perspective. Um, and the next day, obviously, when the news did a complete uh, 180, it was, okay, now we can start to think about how did this make sense from Otani's perspective and the Dodgers' perspective, which is probably what we should have been doing all along. So now that the dust has settled, Ryan, what do you look at as the other factors that no doubt Shohei Otani was looking at beyond just the $700 million price tag? Yeah, and I'm, at, this, at this point, as even more news has come out in the last week, it seems very clear to me that despite the, the number that was agreed to, that that wasn't actually the primary motivating factor or the interest from Otani's perspective, given the fact that it seems to be the case that he had just about the same offer from multiple teams, right? So it wasn't just that. And you'd be forgiven for thinking when that $700 million number came out that, oh, my goodness, the Dodgers outbid us, right? And we weren't really in this. And fans of the Angels and the Giants um, and the Cubs, they might have been thinking similar similar things. But as it turns out, Otani was going to get that contract from just about anybody. And so it really wasn't about the money. It was about, you know, somewhat the location, perhaps, um, but for me, I look at it, and I'm looking at the competitiveness aspect. He identified that the Dodgers were going to give him the best opportunity to win multiple championships over these next 10 years. And it seems to be that that was, that was the difference. From the Jays' perspective, and this is sort of you know troubling, but I think you know we've got to learn the lessons from this, is there's probably not going to be another free agent like Otani. But if and when there is, and you can recognize that what this person is interested in is competing, you can't wait till he comes up to say, oh, come here and be the savior, right? You need to invest in your competitiveness years in advance of that potential free agency, right? So when I think back to, oh, what could we have done differently? If the Jays had recognized two or three years ago that this is the guy we wanted, they should have been all in three years ago. Right, because you have to demonstrate that you are that club that offers the opportunity to compete. You can't just be the club that says, "If you come here, then we'll be the type of club that competes at the level that you want to to be at." So the underlying message here for really the the Blue Jays and and twenty nine other teams that lost out on Otani is that you must be you must build a consistently competitive organization culture well whatever the that seems to be otani's underlying interest in this right if we would agree that it it wasn't even the money 
even though it was a lot of money, because he could have gotten that from multiple places. What seems to be the differentiating factor in this was the Dodgers' competitiveness over the last decade, right, and even going back further than that. But the recent history is they're in it to win it, right? And the Jays, they're a good club too, right? And there's no... I think it's wonderful that they went after it and demonstrated that willingness to to be in with the big boys. Like, I think that's great. But if you had identified in advance that what this player wants and needs is that commitment to winning, you can't wait until he's available to say, well, if you come here, then we'll be that type of club. You would have to demonstrate years in advance that you're that club with or without him. I think that you know the Dodgers did that arguably better than than anybody else that was in the running. Look, I'm I'm a proud Canadian. I think many listening today are Blue Jays fans. Love their team, the city that they play in, a bunch of different things. But I I think going back to what you said earlier, Ryan, about skewed perspective, do we have to acknowledge that being a the lone, for that matter, competitive or pardon me, uh, Canadian team in this marketplace makes it a difficult sell just based on location i understand the question and i think you know canadians were just like we're so polite and we're so humble and i really don't i don't want to buy into this discussion for for very long toronto's a world-class city anybody that thinks that that others out there don't recognize that you know, whoever's writing articles in the U.S. that wants to disparage Toronto, let them do that. Um, but we shouldn't feel like we can't go after international free agents and, and be with the big boys. Um, we have the ownership that has the capacity to do that. Soon we're going to have a stadium that is um, conducive uh, or attractive to just about anybody in the game. And so, you know, I understand the sentiment. I understand where that comes from. But, you know, let's just try to forget about that. Uh, we didn't get it here with this player, right? We didn't succeed here with this player. Um, but I have no doubt that, that the Blue Jays will succeed in the future. And by the way, they've got a couple of free agents that are coming up in a couple of years. But by virtue of entering into this negotiation with Otani, maybe that sends a message to those players that, hey, we're going to compete. If you're thinking about going elsewhere to compete or to get money, well, we're here to win. And by the way, we've got money too. To that point, the players aside, the free agents themselves, Ryan, what about the fans? Have the Blue Jays now raised expectations for the fan base in terms of the kinds of players they could acquire? Yeah, I don't see how they I don't see how they, they couldn't raise the fans' expectations. They made a very public announcement that we have, if not seven hundred million, everybody knew it was going to be at least five, right? That it was going to be in that range. And so they've made a declaration that for the right player, we've got money, right? And this time it didn't work out with Otani, but by the time uh, Bichette and Guerrero come up, and by, you know, by the way, there's other outstanding free agents that are still out there, um, that Toronto's going to be a viable option for them. And so, yeah, I think the fans' expectations should be raised, and, and rightfully so. I wondered, I couldn't help but wonder, and and I confess it actually did help me. When you wrote this piece for the conversation, Ryan, looking at some lessons, almost like a silver lining in all of this, were you just trying to make us Jays fans feel better? No, I think, <laughs> you know, it's funny how, uh, you know, it's funny how these things kind of take on a life of their own. I think in some ways I was actually trying to, 
uh, talk to myself in terms of, hey, I was on the roller coaster myself, right? As I said, on Friday night, I was fired up. Um, and then all of a sudden, Saturday came around. And I say this to my students at, at Brock University all the time is, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you should always learn. And so on Saturday, I was like, okay, now it's time to learn. You know, we, we didn't win this one. Um, but what is the lesson here? And so I was, you know, maybe trying to convince myself of, you know, if and when this comes up again, one, let's not be surprised. Um, but two, let's put ourselves, you know, whether that's the Blue Jays themselves or the fans, in the right mindset to how can we win the next one? It's a great piece in the conversation, and it's a great chat here this morning. Uh, Ryan, thanks very much for making time for the show. Thanks, Mike. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. Ryan Clutterbuck is an assistant professor of sport management at Brock University. You know, that's two. We had Brad Millington from Brock on the show earlier this week, and then Ryan today. I've really, maybe it's because I'm a bit of a sports fan, but I, I think these stories, we talked earlier in the week about the NBA's in-season tournament and what that league is doing to kind of capture our sporting attention, if you will, and I think no matter how casual a sports fan or even baseball fan in general you are, you had to be somehow sucked into the madness that was Otani Watch last Friday. That that was an event unto itself. Uh, pretty wild stuff. And of course, we know how it all ended. But Ryan Clutterbuck from Brock University says, hey, now that it's over, we can learn some lessons for being on the losing end along you know, with 28 other teams, right? There are 29 of the teams that missed out. Only the Dodgers, only the one team got them. So what can you learn from losing those Otani sweepstakes? Fun conversation as part of the show this morning. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, tis the season, even though Mother Nature doesn't seem to understand that. But a real cool carol sing. The right place, the best place. Really interesting acoustics at this place. It's coming up on Monday night. You too can participate. We'll tell you how and where coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. I just took a walk to the kitchen here at the radio station so I could look out the window at the parking lot and what's left of Snow Mountain. And as I suggested to you at the beginning of the show today, I'm not sure she makes it through the day. Snow Mountain is what we affectionately refer to as the big pile of snow that the plows pile up as they're clearing the parking lot. So yeah, you lose several spots in the wintertime, but where else are you going to put the snow? Anyway, we had that one big snowfall, and I was going to say storm. I guess it kind of was a storm. Either way, we had the one big snowfall, and the pile got piled, and Snow Mountain has been slowly deteriorating ever since. I, I bring that up because you'd never know it by looking outside. I heard Mark Douglas say in our news update that it's five degrees and sunny on Friday, December the 15th. 
But it is that season. It's that season where we drink eggnog. You probably put a little bit of Bailey in your coffees, but only on the weekend until the holidays officially start. You buy the gifts, you hang the stockings with care, and maybe also you go caroling. And that is the point of the next conversation because it's an event I've had the pleasure of participating in in the past, and it's well worth it. The annual Carol Sing at the Covered Bridge is coming up on Monday. And here to tell us more about it, our good friend Tony Dowling, who's with the Westmont Rose Residents Association. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Let me just put my Baileys down. Hang on a second. <laughs> I knew you would be that kind of guy, and I don't blame you one bit. <laughs> How are your harmonies? Are you all set for Monday? Oh, we're getting tuned up. You bet. Absolutely. How many years now, Tony, have you been doing this? I was just thinking about that, Mike. We started back in, I think, 19... Sorry. Yeah, 1998. 1988. So we're 35 years in. Holy Hannah. Yeah. And, I mean... Did you start this because, hey, we've got this beautiful, historic covered bridge. What better place to have a Christmas sing-along? You know, it, it's a funny how it started. I was walking to the bridge one night just before Christmas and started singing Silent Night. And I'm not a great singer, but, you know, that doesn't sound too bad in, in this wooden structure. <laughs> and I, I was involved with the Kiwanis Club. And I said, next year, we're going to get the Kiwanis Club to sponsor and present this event. And we did. And it just went from there. I love it. And you're right. It It is a unique acoustic environment, but that's what makes this particular event so much fun, isn't it? Well, it is. And it, you know, it, it's great acoustics. Obviously, a lot of musical instruments are, are based around wood, like guitars and violins. So there is there's something that happens. There. Now, now, we're not actually in the bridge. The lead singers will be in the end of the bridge, but we kind of gather at the north end facing the bridge so we can see the, the bridge and all its glory with the wreath lit up on top of it. It's beautiful. It sets the perfect scene. And I know there is also always hot chocolate, hot cider. You might need lemonade this time if things don't cool down a little bit. Yeah, the forecast is for still fairly warm weather for next week. But it's still, I mean, you you know, come on out, drive through the village, see the lights on the houses and the church. And by the time you get to the bridge, you'll be in the spirit. Absolutely. No question about it. So what time do you get underway on Monday? Uh, Well, come on out early. We have cider and and cookies for for the kids and for everybody. Uh, Song sheets are provided. So I would say... Well, caroling will start at 7, but certainly get there and parked and in the mood by uh, 6.30, quarter to 7. I'm glad you added for everybody instead of just for the kids, because you know me with cookies, Tony. Like, it's like you and well, Bailey's this morning, right? I'll, I'll grab a dozen butter tarts. <laughs> <laughs> and and no musical experience is required? No, it isn't. And just a quick quick history, Mike. So the, the Kiwanis Club actually started the event. Uh, we took it over with Bridge Keepers in 2008 and now this year for the first time ever we're partnering with the Kiwanis Club again so it will be both so we'll have more singers we'll have uh, a lot more going on we expect a bigger crowd so it's going to be a great event all right come out check out the village be there between 6 30 and 6 45 the caroling will begin at seven and you've got folks to kind of lead us through the individual songs and we'll get a song sheet too to help yeah, us out yeah, there, there are song books we've got a, a group of the police chorus that will be leading the singing, but it, it is a sing-along yeah, so you can't just stand there like uh, James Conn's character in Elf and try to move your lips. You're going to sing. We're going to, you know, belt out a tune or two. You, you can hum if you want. Okay. For, for some people, we'd actually prefer that. <laughs> Wait, are, are, you, are you speaking of me specifically, Tony? Well, I haven't heard you sing, Mike, but if, if you come out Monday, we will. All right. Well, that's because you're way up there and I'm way down here. You got it. Yeah, you're a little bit, just a little bit taller than I am, Tony. <laughs> uh, how, how's our bridge doing anyway? 
The bridge is in bad need of repair. Um, that's part of the reason why we don't get too many people in the bridge. But there's supposed to be a major restoration happening in 2025. And we've been involved in that as a, a residents association. Sure. And, you know, th- this is a signature bridge, not just for the community, but it goes well beyond the historic nature of this bridge. The, the knowledge of it goes well beyond this community. 1881. It's the only one left in Ontario. Yeah, it's it's impressive stuff. So, what a great opportunity to get into the Christmas spirit. And is it is it a lot to organize? I mean, or does it kind of just take care of itself these days? It, it pretty much looks after itself. You know, we have to get tables out and you know promote the event, like you know speaking with you and things like that to to get people aware of it. But it's it's not a tough event to put on. All right, remind me again what we need to know for Monday night, please. Monday night, 7 o'clock, Caroling, Westmont Rose. Uh, better to show up at the north end of the bridge, which is where the end where the store is. All right. And we'll be you know, dressed for the weather, get cider and cookies, song sheets. It's going to be another great night, I'm sure of it. Tony, uh, thanks for making time for the show and looking forward to another great caroling on Monday night at the bridge. I appreciate your promoting us, Mike, and I'll promote that you're going to be speaking at our Kiwanis Club in the end of February, February 28th about heartbeat or about uh, farewell for hire. I look forward to that, and thank you for that opportunity. Look forward to having you. Thanks, Thanks Tony. Man. Stay well, my friend. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Tony Dowling, uh, a member of the Bridge Keepers and the West Montrose Residents Association. It is as beautiful a setting as you can possibly find. Whatever happened to caroling, anyway? I think there are some neighborhoods that still do it. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, did somebody come through our neighborhood last year? Maybe I just dreamed it. I I love the whole idea of it, quite frankly. Maybe I'm a little bit corny that way, especially at holiday time. But I really do uh, like the whole idea of it. And our daughter and I took the time to participate in the Covered Bridge Carol Sing uh, a number of years ago. She is the singer in the family, believe you me. She's got a voice like an angel. Uh, I've got a voice that was made for talk radio but nonetheless you go out you do your best you sing some traditional christmas songs and again it's the setting that makes it that much more special i do wish like i can't believe i'm saying this but i I don't think i'm alone in this am i i do wish we had just a, a little bit like give me give me some give me a dusting give me a little hint of something that makes it really seem like christmas but you'll love it the wreath on the end of the bridge the setting it's a beautiful spot And you can join the caroling on Monday night. Try to get there between 6.30 and 6.45. Dress for the weather because even though it's not sub-zero, you feel it when you're standing around. And they'll have some hot cider and some hot chocolate and some cookies to uh, help you stay warm. And your voice as well. So you can take part in that carol sing at the Covered Bridge in Westmont Rose on Monday. All right, we're going to step aside, get you an update from the City News Centre, and then it is our Friday for Roundtable. They have all gathered just outside our studio windows. We're going to do it in person today. It's the final Friday for of the year. This is very exciting. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. What an absolute treat for our final Friday Four Roundtable of this year. I'm not going to be here next Friday. I always like to tack on just one more day of the Christmas break. So Larry Fedorik will be in. 
next Friday. So our guests who are joining us for this final roundtable of the year, and they're all in studio. Yvonne Fernandez, great to see you. Thank you for Thank being you. here. I'm glad to be here. Yvonne is the president of the Dune Pioneer Park Community Association. Jane Mitchell is with us. Good morning, Good Jane. Morning. Jane, of course, is a former regional councillor. And David Drew, the owner of Negotiating Change, Stakeholder Engagement, Government Relations Strategies, and, of course, our host for Drew's Views every Monday. Good morning, sir. I almost said afternoon. <laughs> With the red light telling us that we're live and the green 570 and the green trim, it's looking quite a Christmassy in here. It's not bad. It's not bad. That's the, it was the whole design. They, they want me to think it's Christmas every day I come to work. It's like yeah. a present. It's like yeah. a present. All right. Let's dive into our conversations. And I know you'll all have thoughts on this, particularly a couple of former councillors uh, municipally. The region's final budget, 6.9%. Uh, Yvonne, I'll start with you. Did we strike the right balance here? No. <laughs> no, and, and I, I just love the whole 6.9. It's just like when you drive up to the gas station and it's $1.37.9. Okay, let's just say, you know, we know that it's not really going to make that much of a difference. I wanted to hear um, some change. I wanted to hear possibly dipping into some reserves and maybe people don't feel comfortable with that but I know there are reserves and so why are we not drawing from that in times when we know people are so hard done by, they're so struggling and there's so much financial um, stress on families these days and and if we can help that and maybe we should have dropped down to 5.9 percent to see a, a significant change but we i think what we're not talking about also is the water rates and the gas rates and i know that comes through um, the cities but the water distribution uh and i stand corrected jane comes from the water region yeah it does and yeah. so i think that's something we have to be looking at too because those are fundamental important parts of our lives we need heat and we need water to drink and and cleanse ourselves and cook so i i would have liked to have seen a better balance all around i think your point on you know if it was 5.9 percent how much better does that feel i i mentioned yesterday that these deliberations started around 8%. They finish around 7 And I think we're supposed to feel good about that. But I know I'm not getting a 7% increase to my salary mm-hmm. next year. Uh, Jane, you've been in these very budget mm-hmm. deliberations mm-hmm. as a former regional councillor. How do you feel about where we landed? Well, it's the inflation is a problem. It is a real problem. So maybe 7% is not too bad. I, I feel it's high, too, having come from... A regime of of you know two three four percent, but then that was a different time, you know. So I'm not sure whether that's the worst thing that can happen. I think it's going to be thirteen point nine five per you know month, which on our on our thing, which I really am a pensioner now, so can't have too much more right. increases, right? But on the other hand, my concern is, as always, the police budget and the fact. And I agree with Rob Deutschman. I agree and uh, Colleen James, that there should have been a cut to the police budget. And I think they call them ghost police. The fact that they haven't hired police that they should hire and they say, well, that money goes to overtime. I'm like, oh, that's not very good. You know, so, and then they have a 10% cut on discretionary community services. And coming from the Crime Prevention Council, I always have a concern because the community services and the other discretionary things that they have, that's what we call upstream. That's catching people before 
they are in these problems of homelessness. And yes, we need to put money into homelessness. We need to put money into housing. We need to, and you know, and then they put money into the police. But those are all downstream. Those are reacting to the problems that we have right now. And so I felt very concerned that they were cutting community services. And I felt I probably could pay that little bit extra for for those kind of things. I'm very glad that they increased the uh, food bank once again, a response to what's going on now and the downstream response sort of, I'm not going to say a Band-Aid, but, you know, it's not solving the problems that we have where we could have, you know, uh, things like uh, uh, well baby programs and well baby nurses, which were gone many years ago, but things to check families and how are families doing with young children and what can we do about that and helping them because that's where, but of course it's 20 years from now, right, that you see the difference and what we're seeing is the difference well, with drug addiction, too. I think drug addiction is a real, real huge problem that we don't think about because everybody thought about the pandemic. It went away, but it didn't go away. And so that's where I land. I think the food bank is a really good example of an organization that the region can fund because it's already got the infrastructure yep. and it knows how to get you know two meals for every dollar of donations yep. that come yep. in, that sort of thing. And, and the point on the ghost police officers that you mentioned, Jane, it was a point of contention for sure. The idea that we might be paying for officers who cannot even be hired. So why is that funding going that way? Uh, David, what are your thoughts? I really don't have too many about this. I'm going to freely admit, like, the region is the most complicated and mysterious organization to me, so I have a lot of trouble (laughs) sitting here and saying something educated about how they should have done something differently. That said... um. I'm not upset about the increase. I am not upset about any of the line items that I read about. I just sort of think that we're in this horrible, horrible place where tough decisions have to be made, and I'm grateful that I'm not the one making them. What the two ladies said made absolute sense to me, and I'm willing to go with it. Like, I have a lot of criticisms of the region on specific things. You know, mow, mow the lawns on regional roads. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> that was always but, my <laughs> you know, when it comes to something as complicated as the entire budget, when you have a separate police service and all of this, I am not going to sit here and throw stones at any of our elected officials because I am not smart enough to know whether I'm throwing at the right target. I agree 100% with that because it is so complex. But I think about people like Jane who admitted to being a pensioner. And if you're on a yeah. fixed income... Yeah. And all of a sudden, you need to find yeah. another $165 a year, and that's just for the regional yeah. portion of your taxes. Mm-hmm. You, personally, have to f- change your own household budget. Yeah. Well, and it, it it is a problem overall because, of course, food prices have gone up tremendously. Sure. Uh, you suddenly don't have uh, benefits from when you work. You don't have that, so you have to pay for your dental, and you have to pay for your... You have to pay for part of your drugs when you're over 65. You get most of it paid. But, you know, the things keep going up. Yeah. And would, it, is a, it is a problem. So, sorry for interrupting. I would be very curious, though, with the explosive growth in home values we've had in this region, how much are taxes increasing just based on your property values increasing? Um, because I got to believe that's more than 7.9% or whatever we're talking about. But the, the assessment is, is yeah, done different. in a different manner. The other thing that um, 
I know that they had assessment growth at the region and, and the city of Kitchener that was a bit more than expected. That assessment growth money that they brought in, Would that should that should be helping against the tax increase. Yeah, I think it was 2% or something that mm-hmm. it helped. Yeah, so it did help. Yeah, the assessment. But the assessment is sort of your whole, even though the cost of your house goes up, assessment is done by your whole neighborhood. So your whole neighborhood's gone up. So if your house goes up, for some reason, say you have suddenly become a duplex, yes, your taxes would go up extraordinarily, but I just mean the property value explosions. Yeah, the property, yeah, the property value mm-hmm. actually doesn't make as big a difference as you would think. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you said earlier, though, David, about how mysterious this creature that is the region is to it's you. Huge. What makes it mysterious? Well, when I think about it, it's responsible for, don't say it, I'm going to get this right, police, waste management, water, and I'm forgetting one more. Social Social services. Social services. (laughs) Transit. Um, What a weird basket of things to deal with. And like I remember I had a dispute with a neighbor once, and this was while I was in politics, and I was dumb enough that I emailed my city councillor, not my regional councillor. Yeah. Uh, um, like it's it's just one of these things where we have so many levels of government, and we sit there and we think about well, what's the cost of development with people going through this many processes? It's like it's the citizens trying to figure out which door to knock on. That's what I was working towards. But I think David, I'm taking us are off you topic. Talking about the A word again? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think that ship it's has never sailed. Far. <laughs> I think that ship has sailed based on what happened in Peel Region mm. this week. And we will get into that. Uh, quickly, why was it your regional councillor's problem that you had a dispute with your neighbor? That sounds like a city councillor's problem. Um, police were involved. Okay. Uh-huh. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. David Drew, Jane Mitchell, Yvonne Fernandez with us on the Friday Four Roundtable. We alluded to it. Peel Region, it's not going to be dissolved after all. Dang nabbit, what does that mean for us? And do we have Premier Flip Flop in charge at Queen's Park? We'll talk about it with our Friday Four Roundtable coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. City News 570 and Rogers TV. In studio with our Friday Four Roundtable this morning, Jane Mitchell, David Drew, Yvonne Fernandez with us. Well, we learned this week that Peel Region is not going to be dissolved after all. So there will be no independent Mississauga, Brampton, and city or town, I would call it, of Caledon. Instead, Peel Region remains just that, a region, I guess there was a little bit of sticker shock when it came around to the <laughs> price tag. Here's here's what's interesting now. So we had the Greenbelt reversal. We had the provincial government coming to municipalities and saying, oh, look, you think you need this much land, but we're going to open up this land. Mm-hmm. And then they walked back that and now they're walking back the idea of dissolving Peel Region. Jane, I'll start with you. Is this Premier flip-flop, or does he just listen to what people say? Well, as a liberal, it really pains me to say <laughs> <laughs> that I'm glad this um, government flip-flops. I know everybody wants them to just stay the course and that for whatever you do, whatever government. But those were very, very bad ideas. Yeah. Very bad, the the whole thing. And, and Peel, yeah, they suddenly realized they had to do something with transit. And yeah, it was just awful. And then with the green belt, of course, that, that was just terrible. And I think they're backing off on some of the other things that they've done with municipalities as well, realizing that, you know, municipalities will be short of money if they do some of the things that they wanted to do. So, 
you know, in that way, I think it's really good. It would be nice if they just had done the right thing in the first place yeah. and not done that. So that would be good. But the, this government has flip-flopped on a number of things. And I just don't understand this this whole thing about if you're a government and you have a policy and you just hang on and you're never going to change that policy. We're just going to stay the same. And it's the wrong policy. It's bad. So I don't mind the flip-flops. Just they shouldn't have done in the first place. All right. David, what do you think? I really respect a, go- a, a politician who can perform a good pivot. But I have trouble with the number of pivots on very significant issues that this government has taken on. Um, a parallel, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the Alberta federal conflict over, and it's just all I said was business wants predictability. If you are going to put your money in somewhere, you want predictability. Mm-hmm. And all of these flip-flops does not indicate that Ontario is, quote, open for business, end quote. Um, in terms of the Peel thing, I'm not even sure that it was the price tag. The timing makes it almost make me think that it was targeted at Bonnie Crombie. But it's just, for me, it's the sheer number of flip-flops where if a government says they're going to be doing something, I would like to be able to count on them to try and do it. And I am losing faith that this government has any moral compass on where they want to take us. It's a really good point Mm -hmm. on the predictability. Mm -hmm. And then the Bonnie Crombie piece, of course, the idea initially was that this will keep Bonnie happy. She'll remain as mayor of Mississauga and not become the thorn in Doug Ford's side that she insists she will be as liberal leader. She's now liberal leader and the dissolution has been taken off the table. My particular favorite is the strong mayor's and then all of a sudden, Olivia Chow is mayor of Toronto. That made me laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> she's a strong yeah. NDP. Yes. <laughs> that's yeah. true. So now she's a strong NDP mayor. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yvonne, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, I, I'm agreeing with with David on the on the flip flop and that business wants the the certainty. But I think as residents of this province, we want the certainty that decisions are being made with the appropriate amount of studies, research. Uh, discussion, uh, engagement in the community and before they make these big announcements because as soon as they make these announcements people are suddenly trying you know, look at the green belt I mean, the hundreds and hundreds of people and hours that were spent sending the message to Doug Ford that this was a bad idea and you need to pull it back and you need to reverse it that's a lot of stress on us as community members. And I attended a lot of those rallies. So yep. now, you know, Peel Region is saying, well, it, it's too expensive. Well, didn't they look at that first? Why were they not looking at the finances and the cost before they made these big announcements? I don't think that that's a smart business move on the government's part. And that's what I think the voters, whatever percentage of voters put Doug Ford in, uh, or expecting smart business decisions. Isn't that what his platform was? And and none of these decisions have been smart business, except maybe, you know, the the developers who wanted the Greenbelt expansion. Um, they were, I'm sure, uh, salivating at the thought of having a, additional land to, to develop on. So if he's flip-flopping because he realizes his error in judgment, okay, I can give him that. But can you take a minute, sir, and really look at these decisions before you put people in a tailspin? And I think this government, too, they haven't been consulting enough. 
Mm-hmm. With the, they, they do these things and they haven't really consulted with the municipalities. They haven't consulted yeah. with the citizens on what they want, which, you know, um, often you think, oh, this is taking forever. All these citizens, you know, looking at this and looking at that. But in the end, you make the right decision. I'm not sure. You, you've taken me off on a tangent, so I apologize if I'm boring the listeners or the viewers. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure that any government consults like they did in the Chrétien era. And I'm not talking about this at a partisan level. I'm just thinking the speed of social media, the way government is expected to act quickly. Yeah. Consultation is the online clickbait stuff that can be done very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas I remember when they were moving from established program finance to the Canada Health and Social Transfer, you know, they were doing town halls across the country and they were doing mm. a genuine thing to gather input. Um, I mean, John English and Andrew Talegdi showed up at the University of Waterloo to meet with 100 students who had concerns. And yeah. I don't see any level of government really, try- other than Rob Deutschman. Give the guy yeah. credit because, yeah. you know, yeah. community town halls. Yeah. Yeah. Town halls he's yeah, he, well, just, he also has a staff to help with that. Yes. But, you know, he also could have put that money towards a second vacation. Sure. And yeah. so kudos. But I just don't see federally or provincially the ability for governments to do the consultations they used to do because our expectations are too impatient. Oh, that's a good point. But also you can have, you know, surveys and... Uh, you know, various various things and talk to, like, you know, the conservation authorities and not just go by somebody who hates a particular conservation authority and so you're going to take away their power because somebody in eastern Ontario didn't like the conservation area, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Just kind of ask people and talk to the people that know what's going on talk and to what's the happening. People, yeah, talk to the people on the ground, so yes, to speak, yeah, right? Yeah, who are, yeah. You know, who are, deal, who are dealing with those issues every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a really good point, though, David. You get me thinking, like, when's the last time we had an MPP kind of out in front of an issue holding a community consultation or public forum of some kind? It just doesn't happen, does no. it? No. Well, the worst, most horrible example I remember was right after Russia invaded Ukraine, and you had all these politicians just taking pictures with the sign that said, I stand with Ukraine. It's like, wow, you got that out there really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <clears throat> what does it mean? And I think in every way we have to be seen to be doing as a government. And I say we, I'm not involved with any of them right now. But, you know, we have to be seen to be doing. And it's often easier to be seen than it is to actually do. So you get the scene part done. Yeah. And the rest will come later, hopefully. It's it's the very definition of slacktivism that we've talked about, right? If I change my profile picture to a Ukrainian flag or whatever yeah. the case may be, my work here is done. I've made my my pub, my stance known publicly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and think, all my friends for, know that I'm better than them. Right. <laughs> I think for town halls, too, you have to be careful because I've been to a number of town halls where two people turned up. So, you know, you have to Which may be why audience. they don't do them. Yeah, where at Grand River Conservation Authority, if you go out and you're talking to farmers about a change, you will have a lot of people turn up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so easy to do social media. I mean, Engage Kitchener or Engage WR, it's the same people who are answering those questions. So are they really getting the flavor of what people are feeling? Go into a mall or stand at the grocery store and talk to the people there. That's where you're going to hear what door to door. 
Oh, door to door is absolutely. Oh, I did that in Alberta. <laughs> believe me, I was amazed at how friendly people were. Yeah, Elizabeth Whitmer used to say that she learned more about what was wrong in the community grocery shopping. Yep. <laughs> that yep. she did yeah. it a week of work. Yeah. 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 Okay. I like to think that's what this show can do. And we hear from Joe and Jane Average, and I yeah. hope yes. that folks are listening just to get a sense of what us grocery shoppers are feeling like mm-hmm. most days. <laughs> All right. We've got Jane Mitchell, David Drew, and Yvonne Fernandez with us in studio on our final Friday Four Roundtable of this year. Stay with us. We continue talking about booze in corner stores and gas stations. Heck yeah. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. With us around the Friday Four table this morning, right here in studio, David Drew, who's the owner of Negotiating Change, Stakeholder Engagement, Government Relations Strategies. Of course, you know him from his other work as well on Drew's Views every Monday here on the program. Yvonne Fernandez is with us. She's the president of the Dune Pioneer Park Community Association and Jane Mitchell, a former regional councillor. We're going to stick with provincial politics here because the big news from the province this week, and he was even asked about it, listen, do you think this is a bad idea, people filling up with gas and then grabbing an alcoholic ready-made beverage out of the cooler? And Doug Ford said, heck no, it's time to treat people like adults. In fact, I might go crack one of those ciders myself before (laughs) I leave here today. Uh, David, I'll start with you. Are you okay with beer in corner stores, gas stations, etc.? I remember when the beer store at Weber and Lincoln, Lincoln yeah. had a drive-thru. Yep. Um, I'm okay with this. Um, I'm skeptical about some of the benefits, but if Doug Ford flip-flops on this one, I will hunt him down. <laughs> Um, I'm skeptical because the LCBO and the beer store are still going to be the wholesale outlets. So I'm not sure how much competition on price there actually can be when they're the wholesaler price. I'm sure there is room for it because, you know, buck a beer is legal. But, yeah, I have... I have no worries against this. Like, if you're in Quebec, you can do this. If you're in Newfoundland, you can do this. If you're in Alberta, you can do this. Um, The world didn't end in any of those places. I don't know that we are more morally deficient than other Canadians. So I, I really can't get upset about this. But I'm, other than the accessibility, which I will appreciate, I'm not expecting a big price difference, though. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't see how, and you've outlined the reasons for the the skepticism that there will be a decrease in price, but I'm with you on the accessibility. It's about darn time. I thought you were going to say you were with me on hunting Doug Ford down. If you you need some help, I'm always here for you, pal. I'll bring the burlap sacks and twine. that are working on that. (laughs) Yvonne, what do you make of this? Uh, You know what? Plan your day so you can get your alcohol, folks. I mean, they're open seven days a week. I suppose it's convenient I, I guess as a mom, I always think about accessibility to youth. And I would love to know if there was an increase in Quebec and Newfoundland on um, youth drinking. Uh, we were struggling with addiction all over the place in this country. Uh, is this going to be another concern? And I'm sure Mad Canada would have loved to have had some uh, discussion with Doug Ford about this. Uh, see, I, when I when I buy a beverage, I I know that I'm going to be buying some, and I plan. 
is we're being treated like adults. Okay, that's that's great. But are we all going to be making adult decisions? And are some of our youth who whose brains have not fused until they're in their mid twenties going to be making adult decisions about? Yeah, you know what? Uh, there's some pre-made drinks, and let's gas up the truck or the car or whatever. We're all a bunch of us going out to a bush party, and we'll grab now because the liquor store's closed. So th- there's like I, I'm I'm tentatively. Um, okay with it. I do would like to see some research on alcohol uh, alcoholism increases with the in youth. David, does this concern you? It doesn't. I was just all of a sudden curious because I'm not sure that a 24 hour Seven Eleven is going to be allowed to sell at three in the morning. And I re- just realized though, I have no idea. I think, and they so are. I was making that face, going like, "Are they going to be allowed to sell?" When would think so. LCBO and bars even would be closed. Absolutely, sure. yeah. seven o'clock yeah. in the morning. Grab yeah. your drink. Yep, yeah. that's yeah. what they. That's what Doug was saying. If you want to drink, okay, it's, it's even better than I thought. That. <laughs> <laughs> I do think Yvonne. I can help pre-plan if you want. Yeah, you, you do raise a valid concern here. <clears throat> yes. I think, insofar as the person behind that counter at the Seven Eleven or at the gas station, obviously they will have to be smart serve certified. Mm-hmm. Not that it takes a whole lot, but there's going to be an intimidation factor there depending on the age of that individual, et cetera. I think that's a valid concern for sure. I, I think that is is a valid concern. I'll tell you what I think about the beer store in a minute. But uh, when I was on regional council, of course, we had uh, corner stores selling cigarettes. And there was inspectors that went round, and they did catch a number of stores selling to underage kids selling cigarettes. So we're going to have, I think, the same problem with alcohol, Mm. that you're going to have um, stores selling to kids or teenagers underage, and that's something that's going to have to have inspectors, probably regional inspectors, and that'll put the budget up. But anyway, um, yeah, so that is a concern. As far as I'm concerned about the beer store, I am not a friend of the beer store. I feel it's a monopoly. And and I remember back a little while ago when uh, various... uh, beer, you know, the small micro beers would start and they weren't able to sell because of the monopoly of the beer store. So if the beer store's gone, I'm happy. I normally go to LCBO, but I also buy stuff at the supermarket. I buy, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't find that a particular problem in the States. They have it, you know, in the States and just like, whoa. And I think it will actually help keep those stores alive, the corner stores. Because what's happened is everybody stopped smoking. So they've lost that revenue. I know it sounds terrible. to. They're buying have, lottery tickets instead. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah buying lottery, lottery tickets, tickets are huge, lot, sure. Lottery tickets keep them going now. Alcohol will keep them going because certainly uh, trying to, to survive on loaves of bread and, and milk when you're a corner store is, is not going to work because everything's open 24-7. So I don't really have a problem with it other than I think we need to have some protections about who is buying the alcohol. And that kind of thing, yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see the shakeout of this because you know we're all sort of picturing every gas station, every convenience store selling yeah. booze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's going to be questions for them about if our staff are now smart served, they have to be of a certain age. Yeah. So we have to start team. hiring older people. Um, there's going to need to be secure locations for yep. the the beer, so yes, it's not accessible. So there might be some costs where a lot of gas stations and convenience stores are going to say, it's not worth it for us. We have a profitable model right now. That's right. We don't have the space that's worth it. But I know in the past couple of years, there's a little convenience store in Linwood. 
And I was just driving by, and all of a sudden I saw on the sign, they're a beer store, and they have been for a couple of years now. Yes. And just the idea, when I'm driving to the cottage, if I take a slightly different route, there's one more place to stop along the way. (laughs) Well, no, because, you know, you get a detour, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that liquor store that you plan to stop at is no longer along your route. It's going to be a half hour to detour to get there. So that little convenience stop along the way makes a huge difference for me once a month in the summers, maybe. Yeah. Pre-plan. All I say is (laughs) pre-plan. Yeah. And I think like I'll be the first to admit I've fallen out of that habit because as Jane said a moment ago, not just with alcohol, but I've just grown accustomed to the idea that this is a 24-hour world. And if I want something at 11, 15 p.m., gosh darn it, I should be able to find it. Most times you can. Mm -hmm. When I'm walking out of Sobeys and they have that Winterberry set, Cider. I'm like, oh yeah, well, ha- I'll get just get some of that for the kids coming over. You know, who are over eighteen. <laughs> and, yeah, my, my, my children. But you know, so I think there is a convenience factor there for sure. And one thing I always found with Ontario is we had some very strange laws in the past, just really strange. Where I remember, and this is a long time ago when I graduated from high school, and we were all over eighteen at the Waterloo Inn. And you couldn't stand up with your drink and walk from table to table. You had to sit at your table and drink. Why? I don't know. But there were just so many, you know, the old uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen door and the men's door in, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Just thank God it's gone. No kidding. And I think we we do need to treat people as adults. I think that's one of the problems we've had, quite frankly, is that we've made... an alcoholic beverage the most one of the most taboo things we could ever consider consuming yeah and you know it's almost built up to mythical proportion here let's just treat people like adults and watch them behave responsibly because i think they will well it goes to the discussion i think you had last week about being able to walk around chris kindle market with with, uh the 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 glue vine yes yeah Yeah. i parked in the parking lot and walked in and as i was walking in i walked by a couple dudes smoking weed they yeah. were not near a doorway. They were out on their own. It was eleven, not even 11 o'clock in the morning. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. Why do you care? And if they can do that, why can't you have a beverage of choice with you? Exactly. Yeah, one now, evening I was walking my dog and I smelled a skunk and I was like, uh-oh. And I got to the corner and I said to the guy that was standing there, oh, oh, I smell a skunk. He said, oh, and he looked very apologetic. He said, it's me. I'm smoking <laughs> weed. I said, I would rather have you smoking weed than run into that skunk. skunk. Let me tell you. Yeah, that's true. There you go. I can't believe we ended up here. <laughs> Are you sure about that, David? You put, you put the four of us in the studio and yeah. we end up here eventually. Yeah. Jane, you said something that really struck me as we head into our next and final topic. And yeah. that is there are some very strange laws in Ontario. <laughs> One of the laws, I'm telling you, I am mad as H-E double hockey sticks about this. Why is it that we can't even toboggan in some places <gasps> oh, in this province man. anymore? The beautiful community of Rockwood, home of the bit, the chomping at the bit restaurant. And now they're thinking of removing banning tobogganing at one of the most popular hills in the town. We'll talk about that with our Friday Four Roundtable as we continue on the Mike Farwell Show. Jane Mitchell, David Drew, and Yvonne Fernandez with us. City News 570 and Rogers TV. Thank you very much to Daryl, who is listening attentively. Sends an email to mike at 570news.com. When it comes to 
Can you get that alcoholic beverage at 3 a.m., David Drew? No, you cannot. Staff training and the current standard hours of sale from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. will be required in the new retail outlets, according to the news release. Oh, so, okay. But Thanks, I can Darryl. still get my 7 a.m. martini fixings. Sure can. <laughs> okay, sure and you can. can have it delivered by Uber Eats. That's also a possibility. Oh, so there yes, you go. It is. And that's right. So, What is society? Well, you can start your buzz at 7 in the morning and just carry it right through the whole day. All right. Uh, we are in studio with David Drew, Yvonne Fernandez, and Jane Mitchell, our Friday 4 roundtable today. Uh, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun at the expense of uh, the nanny state here as we wrap things up. But it came across my radar that the beautiful community of Rockwood is thinking of banning tobogganing at one of its most popular tobogganing hills. To the credit of one counselor, he says, I think we should be adding places for people to enjoy the outdoors, not removing them. I would vote for that guy again. But uh, Yvonne, I'll start with you on this. Why can't we have outdoor fun in the winter anymore? I, yeah, you know what? I, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm doing a flip-flop because here I said, you know, we, we have to be careful. We protect our teenagers from not having access to alcohol. And now I'm saying, yes, go out there and crash your toboggan <laughs> into a tree. Um, outdoor Canadian fun is just part of be, being a Canadian. And so how much more liability concerns can we have than letting stopping children and families from tobogganing and we want to treat people like adults then let's treat families that they can make a smart decision about where they're taking their children to toboggan uh it it does take away that whole it's all risk management and i'm so tired of hearing risk management risk management everything is is risk I step out of the, my uh, car into a parking lot and there's a risk there. So let's be common sense. There's a perfect thought, common sense. And let people make decisions on where they want to toboggan or skate. Oh, Didn't no, we have this problem when you were on say, council? Yes. Should we open up that Pandora's box about skating on stormwater ponds uh, when it's cold enough? Gosh darn yes. Yes. And, yeah. Let people have fun. Coincidentally, <laughs> exactly. Coincidentally, this story came up, and I just happened to see one of these things on social media about in the 70s, we did this with our parents' encouragement, and it showed a ladder going up to the, the roof of the front porch or maybe the first level of the house, and then this huge pile of snow, so you'd climb the ladder to slide down on your crazy carpet. This <laughs> yeah. ma- That's what we would do, we do. right? Yeah. Jane, what's My going on? My brother did it. My brother did it. What have we yeah. done to ourselves? Well, I think what we have to do is think about is the safety. Has there been accidents at this particular park? I don't know. I haven't heard of any, but then maybe there was. Um, they said that they were putting hay bales at the bottom. Like they did at, yeah. at uh, McLennan yeah, park. park. Don't yeah, forget, they park, took one yeah. of our best runs away because, oh, no, heaven forbid you go down the hill too fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not concerned how fast. I am concerned about if the hill is where you could go out onto the road or you could run into a tree. But if you don't, like at, at we used to always go up uh, at the university and there's a beautiful hill there um, going down into the, uh, uh, the soccer fields. That's really good. And there's no reason why people wouldn't be able to do that. It's a steep hill, but it doesn't, nobody ever gets to the Conestoga or the, uh, the Columbia Street Lake. They never get there. And that's fine. As far as I know, that's still going. So I would investigate a little bit more, but I certainly think that uh, the um, insurance 
has been causing I terrible have no doubt that's difficulties the case. with all kinds of of different sports and different and different uh, activities that we do mm-hmm. in the winter. You know, but I, I think, and I think I read that um, the council is still thinking about it. That yes. they haven't actually. I'm hoping our friends so in Rockwood all, are listening, and I'm, and I'm sure all the people of Lock, Rockwood are saying we've done this for years. It's yeah. fine. Just keep it there. But uh, we do have to think about it. If there's been a number of accidents where people have run into trees, you might want to think about. <laughs> I used to do something. that on purpose, not necessarily run yeah. into the tree, yeah. but take the narrow path down yeah. and see if I could avoid the trees. <laughs> Part of the fun. Part or of the land fun. in that little stream and see how wet you, how yeah, you can exactly. avoid getting wet. Exactly. Yeah. David, what do you think? I grew up for my first 10 years in Coppercliff, Ontario. Where's Coppercliff? It's now part of Sudbury. Okay. okay. It's where the super stack is. Right. Um, We all had yards, and every third or fourth person had a pretty good tobogganing hill in their backyard. And there were all these really cool places you could go in the middle of nowhere that were just very natural places you could go sliding. But now I live in Dune South, and it's very flat. And there's very little green space. And so you need somewhere communal put forth by the city if you want to do tobogganing safely. But as soon as you do it that way, then the question is, who gets sued if somebody gets hurt? Because my parents aren't gonna, wouldn't have sued like my friend's dad. My friend's dad wouldn't have sued my parents. But, you know, Township of Rockwood... I hear. I bet they got some pretty good coin in their pocket. Well, see, and this is this is where we're at because thirty, forty years ago, when we were all children enjoying ourselves, our parents weren't suing the municipality either. Yeah. Clear. This is absolutely what we're dealing oh, with. Oh yeah, here, right. Yeah, this sure. is a litigation. It's issue. liability and yeah. litigation. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. could we not just post a sign? That says use at your own risk. Could that no, not? No, no, that doesn't no. work. No, that why? Does not, that does yep. not absolve you <laughs> no, of negligence. There was, there was a case. Oh, that's uh, not negligence, at, though. At GRCA exactly. Just run. A guy that said, "Do not enter," and he went in with his mini bike and he rode around a, a quarry or something, and he hurt himself and he ended up paraplegic, and he got a great big reward. Even mm-hmm. though there were all signs there saying, do this, not go here. Yeah, but this is Canada still. where criminals can sue you if they slip on your porch breaking into your house. Right. Um, that but no, like I've, American I, That's actually a good point. <laughs> but but I, I, I want to come back to, though, it's not just about the legalistic. It's about the density. Um, if we are going to achieve the density we want, we are going to have fewer and fewer spaces for yeah. individuals. Yeah to have toboggan hills and... But then how do you create the safety with that number of people who would decide to congregate at the one tobogganing hill in the neighborhood? Bingo. How can, right? Bingo. That's right. So, but, yeah. We honestly, have to think about green space and that's that's it. If you're going to have density, you got to have green space. Yeah. I'm okay with that, but I'm getting worried that we're just going to stop doing things, fun mm-hmm. things, because we're too worried about the ding-dang liability. Yeah. Well, and I think people will uh, go to places that are even worse. Yes. For choices of tobogganing. Yes, because where now, I will get caught. Hill, the less crowded places. That's, yeah. The less policed places. Really right, right. Yes. So, put, yeah. so, you know what? Hay bales apparently work fabulously in a number of places in uh, where my son lives in Alberta. 
And they have a fantastic hill. They put the bay, the hay bales, bay hills, hay bales in, uh, and make sure that if you're going to land, you're going to land into that. And it it is slam packed with people. So they're not too worried about dwelling there. Let's bring some common sense to this. It's factor. the second time you've mentioned that. I, I hope we can because well, I worry about this. But honestly. Let's not worry about it too much because with climate change, yeah, there's well, going to be no snow there in a weekend. Yeah, Trust no, me. No, I, right. yeah, no happy right. note. I thought about that too. <laughs> okay. I mean, this happy is, yeah. note for those who don't like winter. I don't like winter, <laughs> I but I wouldn't don't. mind a little bit. I wouldn't mind just a little bit of snow here. You just I, want the, like, the icing sugar kind of look? Yeah, uh, something. <laughs> it, and listen, if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow. Like, come on. Or at least cold enough that the artificial snow machines can keep Chicopee going. Bill Creighton, yes, are you listening? Yes, Our yeah. good yeah. friend Bill. I know he's anxious to make some snow mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. I'm going to stop at a gas station, buy some beer, and then go tubing at Chicopee. Even <laughs> better. Even. What could possibly Simply go wrong? Way to end that. <laughs> this, this is what happens when we start getting treated like adults in mm-hmm. Ontario, right? We have fun. <laughs> the fun is supposed to be for the kids. I hope they find a way yes. to keep this tobogganing hill open in Rockland. He slammed into the tree, but he seems really happy. <laughs> he, he was walking like that before he hit the tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but come on, raise your hand if you did run into a tree and or a friend when you were tobogganing oh, as a yeah. kid. No, you I betcha. Didn't. Jane, you did not? <laughs> no, because we went to Westmount Golf Course and we went to the University of Waterloo where there weren't very many trees. Okay, uh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, they don't want trees on golf courses. I yet. definitely did both. Hit another person yeah. and absolutely hit trees. And maybe that explains Head lot. first into a tree on a crazy carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Why not? That no helmets? It, David. No helmets. <laughs> All right. Uh, sadly, we're out of time. But this has been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy everybody. holidays. Thank yes. you all for coming in. Jane Mitchell, a former regional councillor, David Drew, the owner of Negotiating Change, and Yvonne Fernandez, the president of the Dune Pioneer Park Community Association. Joining us on the Friday for roundtable here on city news 570 and rogers tv our friends at rogers are done for another day thanks to robert and the team for producing the tv side of this show we'll get you to the city news center for an update and then the coaches show with uc ahokas followed by free phones friday all of that still to come on the mike farwell show on city news 570 and so long rogers tv lost count of the number of people that said to me over the past five days or so why isn't there another Kitchener Rangers game? Why aren't we playing hockey tonight? You know, even these young athletes need a break every once in a while and the Rangers on Sunday in a win over the Guelph Storm finished off a stretch of 10 games in 17 days. That is not a misspeak. 10 games in 17 days days. Dare I say, they deserved a little bit of time off. You see a hocus as the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. He joins us every Friday at this time for the Coaches Show. Good afternoon, Yusi. Hey, good afternoon. 
How did you spend time recharging the team over these past four to five days? Well, we had two days off. It was so so many. You could see in our game also that boys were. It was a tough stretch for the boys. Uh, it's tougher schedule than in playoffs. So, so we had two days off, and then we had good two practice days. So, it's uh, now it's fun to fun to play again. What did you think of Carson Rakoff cracking the roster for Team Canada? That's great, great for him. Uh, I think. Well, he's. Uh, Leading the points in OHL, and I think he has the talent to play there. So it's I expected him to make the, make the team, but I'm for sure, really happy for him. Obviously, a player like Carson Rakoff, a player like Philip Mashar, who's going to play uh, for Slovakia, not easily replaced at all. How do you how do you get by? How do you prepare over these next eight nine games without those two guys on your team? Well, no. I, I don't see it that way. We're a four-line team, uh, so other guys have to step up, and it's a good opportunity for other guys to show their skill and get more ice time. And now we're having uh, McNeil, a D-man, coming in, and David Arquette's coming in again like he was on Sunday. So it's good. good, good, good. Those guys get some good experience from OHL games and see what the level is. And... Uh, and it's good for the future also. But uh, I think, uh, of course, we would want Ra- Ra- Razor and uh, Mazar playing for, for us, but uh, it's a great opportunity for the boys to be in the World Juniors. You mentioned Arquette, UC, and you know he, he even told us after the game that the speed was a little bit different for him. But look, he picked up his first OHL point already. How did you feel about what he was able to do in his first OHL game? I, I think he's a smart player. He reads the game well. Uh, he can. He makes good decisions. And yeah, for a 16-year-old first game, I thought he did did really well. And let's hope it it should, like he keeps uh, improving the whole time he's here with us. You mentioned McNeil on the back end, and of course, without Roman Schmidt, there's a, a hole there too. He was traded away this week. I, I'm sure it's always hard to see guys leave the team. Well, yeah, but. Uh, uh, Martin's not back, but we—he's gonna be—he's our third overager, and we would have uh, too many overagers, so we had to do something. And I, I think we got a good value, a second and third round pick. So, uh, yeah, that's that. But that's the GM's job. That's uh, Mackenzie's job to deal with that. And we have, and we coaches, we we go with what we have and get the best out of the players. This this team will have played exactly half of its schedule by the end of this weekend, heading into Christmas. 34 games. And I know you said that the last little stretch, 10 games in 17 games, uh, 10 games, pardon me, in 17 days, that's even more than playoffs. How have you felt about the pace, the level of the number of games in the first half? It's been for uh, it's been a tough schedule for sure. Uh, like, uh, we played a lot, but then again, it's Good. It's it's like NHL schedule, pretty much. So uh, it's good learning for the boys and uh, what it is if you want to make it to the pros and how you have to be ready, ready to play. So, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I hopefully it helps us in the second half of the season. Is it hard to keep the guys focused on a weekend like this when they might be thinking about the Christmas break? But no, I think we'll have a long Christmas break, so it's more of a 
let's play really well these two games and after that everybody has to has a break and focus on the moment and uh there's important there's important game important points for us for right now the game tonight against the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds is the team that is closest to you uh, in the Western Conference standings. They're just four points behind, but obviously a, a highly skilled team. What do you have to do to be successful against Sault Ste. Marie? Well, they're a good skating and good rush team. Uh, they have good offense, so we have to be able to take away their rush game. We have to defend well. Uh, we will have to forecheck, forecheck, and our defensive game has to be there. But also that we, if we play the puck well and get the pucks to the net, I think it's going to be a good game for sure. But we have to be in top of our game. Every coach, every team talks about being tough to play on home ice, and your team has been exactly that. Just two regulation losses on home ice so far this season. You see what. What makes your team tough to play at the Memorial Auditorium? Uh, I think uh, we want to be good there, uh, and we're a good team. But uh, our home ice is—it's uh, our, our our home. So uh, if you come come here, you have to pay the price if you want to get points from us at the odds. So, or otherwise, I haven't really thought about it that much, but. Uh, yeah, we want we want to be good at home for, and we have the great fans, so it it helps also. It's going to be another fun Friday night at the rink for sure. You see, thank you for this. We'll see you at the game. All right, thanks a lot. You thank see, you. thank you. You see, Ahokas, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, joining us ahead of tonight's game against the closest team to the Kitchener Rangers in the OHL standings, the Sioux beat North Bay on Wednesday night 6-2. to two. So the Sioux with 44 points, just four points behind the Kitchener Rangers, and the Rangers have played one more game. Kitchener has played 32 games. The Sioux has played 31. This is as big a Friday night game going into the Christmas break as ever you will find. It's going to be a lot of fun if you're coming into Kitchener to try to get points from the Kitchener Rangers, you're going to have to pay the price. Just two regulation losses for Kitchener on home ice so far this season. And really, that's almost asking the impossible question because with just seven regulation losses overall, Kitchener's only lost five times on the road. It's been a remarkably successful first stretch of the season. By the time Kitchener is done this weekend, they will have played exactly half the OHL schedule. 34 games will be in the books by the time we're done on Saturday night in Barrie. The focus right now, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds tonight at the Memorial Auditorium. It promises to be a fun game. If you can't make it to the rink, that's okay. We've got you covered right here on City News 570. Paul Fixter and I will be on the air with pregame coverage starting at 635, and we will carry you late into the night on Rangers Talk, where we dissect the game, the season so far. We talk junior hockey in general. It's always lots of fun on Rangers Talk, which goes till at least 11 o'clock after the game. So your number one place for Kitchener Rangers coverage is right here. And we'll get the puck drop just after 7 tonight. Pre-game show with me and Paul starts at 6.35. UC Ahokas joins us for the Coaches Show every Friday at noon here on the program.
We're going to take a break. And when we come back, hey, it's all up to you. We're going to open up the phone lines. It's something we call Free Phones Friday. And you can chart the course for the final 45 minutes of our week together. Let's have a conversation about whatever it is that you'd like to talk about today. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Free Phones Friday coming up on City News 570. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. And so we arrive into our final hour together of the week here on the program. It's hard to believe when we arrive at this time that we've already had 19 hours together. And here we are into the final of those hours of the week. And we like to open things up so that we can hear from you. What would you like to talk about? Make the call and let's have the conversation. 519 570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. It's Free Phones Friday, and Andre, the phones are free to you first. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Uh, I wish you would have saved me at the end for two minutes. (laughs) I'm just joking. Uh, Because the time... I just want to say, Mike, I said it yesterday morning um, about uh, Carson Rakoff. I'm very proud, and uh, we'll be watching him and uh, Mishar. Um, And like I said, and it's worth to be repeated, and I think you see, he even said it himself, that it gives opportunity to others. And I remember with you, Mike, that because you're my eyes on the ice, um, at the beginning, we didn't know what was happening because it's a rebuilt team. And, man, did they ever lift our both eyebrows up. And very impressed. And do not forget that. So now we got Sop um, probably on the first line. And my player that I really liked since the beginning was Lamb. And I think Lamb is going to show his colors. I think he's going to probably have a two-point night at least. And uh, so, yeah, and uh, Parson, he's going to have to uh, hopefully be sharp. Uh, strong defense is best offense. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, uh, Mitch Martin to come back. He's a big piece of our uh, of the heart of the Kitchener Rangers. So I wish him well to come back. Um, so, yeah, that's what I have to say, Mike. Uh, beautiful weather out there. Unfortunately, your bike's put away. But uh, you enjoy your weekend, Mike, and we'll talk soon again. Thank you, Andre. Nice to hear from you. And I love your enthusiasm for the Kitchener Rangers. I, like you, cannot freaking wait for Mitch Martin to come back. Love that kid. Love what he brings to the team. He's just been so hard luck with the injuries. So hopefully when he's back from this one, he's back for good and can be a part, well, we know he'll be a big part of this team as it makes the push through the second half of the season. Cannot wait. Love that kid. Kyle, Free Phones Friday to you. 
Question. Yes. You're not bringing Chris on next week, are you? I'm not bringing Chris on. Chris Kringle, Santa Claus. Is you, is oh my well? gosh! You know, no, I'm not. That was a thing back in the day. Uh, we had tried that a couple of times, but uh, that was not on my radar to do. So no, I am what not. What about the Grinch? Anyone? Anyone? Listen, our our uh, morning news anchor, uh, Mark Douglas, was wearing a Grinch sweater today, which I rather appreciated. Could have had him on the radio. I got some questions I need to ask about my presence for this year. You if know? you want to ask a Grinch a question, go ahead and ask because I am the world class Grinch. Okay, well, I want to know yeah. where my Montreal Canadian. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Is. Offside. See you later. Don't. Why would you? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know the rules on this show. You utter that team's name. Did your team come back from a five nothing deficit last night? No. I know they still lost in overtime, but still exciting as he double hockey sticks. Do not bring that happy crappy onto my show. Do not do it. Otherwise, I'll do what I just did, and I'll hang up the phone. Say that team's name. Paul, good afternoon. <laughs> that was so predictable. <laughs> well, I got to be me. I'm glad yeah. you know who I am and what I stand for. Yeah. Uh, listen, <clears throat> those that follow politics... Should I get comfortable for this? Uh, you should. Okay, yeah, I'm getting comfortable. It's a little on the long side, but All right. it's nonpartisan. Let's go. Okay, I'm ready. Those that follow politics can see that Trudeau is preparing to call a spring election. All the signs are there. He announced the uh, dental plan the other day, the one that the NDP had demanded for the support. Of course, it's not going to really roll out until the spring. Uh, he announced that they, they're still working on the pharmacare, as demanded by the NDP, but he told them he needs a little bit more time. Give them until the spring. Uh, he's quadrupling the carbon tax so he can save the world. The um, Think back to when he started out. What were his promises? He planned to save the world by reducing Canada's carbon emissions that would no longer be free to pollute. He was going to legalize pot. He would make Canadians safe by taking away the uh, firearms from legal firearms owners. And he would change the electoral process. That would be the last election based on first past the post. But what did he do? He didn't legalize pot until just before the next election. He increased the carbon taxes, even though there's no decrease in the Canadian uh, carbon emissions. He, he, uh, he changed the electoral system. So- no, no, wait, no, he didn't change the electoral system, did he? That was the system that got him elected. Liberals may have gotten the most seats, but conservatives won the popular vote. Liberals do not have the support of the majority of Canadians, although Trudeau seems to think they do. So he's putting out all these promises as he prepares for the spring election. He's going to claim to have brought in the dental plan, something that's uh, useless to the majority of Canadians. Over 85% of Canadians have dental coverage already. But they, uh, all those people will be included in the cost of that plan. You will claim to have made Canada safer by taking away firearms from legal firearms owners. Forgot to look after the, uh, the criminals. So, uh, he, he says that we will have to reelect them to bring in pharmacare. He's going to use taxpayer dollars to buy votes just as he always does. But we can stop him this time. With the current polls, we're going to have a conservative majority government. So for all your listeners out there who have considered running to be an MP in their writing, this is the time. So to all conservatives, if you're interested, almost every local riding that does not have an incumbent conservative candidate 
are now open for nominations to become a candidate for the Conservative Party. And if you win the nomination, you're almost guaranteed to win at the federal election. And it's not a difficult process. All the information is available online at uh, conservative.ca under rules and procedures for candidate nominations. But even if you don't want to run, join the Conservative Party and have the opportunity to have your say in the nomination process and help select the best candidate to represent you. Unlike a liberal membership that's free, you have to pay a few dollars, but it's money well spent. Now, to all the NDP supporters out there... Paul, you're same, pushing it. Same, same advice. If you're uh, in a liberal-held riding, get involved for the nominations or just become a member and have your say in the elections uh, uh, as to who will be selecting who will be selected to represent you at the next election. The um, uh, NDPs stand a very good possibility at forming the official opposition at the next election. And to all you liberal MPs out there, it's time to start working on your resume. The tides have turned. So everyone, everyone out there, support the party that best represents your views participate in the candidate selection process, pick the person best representing you, and to everyone out there, this is an important time, get out and vote. All right. Thank you. Four and a half minutes. I have have questions, though. I I, I still haven't hit my eight-minute mark. I know. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Did you just ask me to to run for the conservative nomination in my writing? Is that what I heard? Hey, if you're a conservative and you would like to run for the conservative uh, party in your riding, any riding that does not have a conservative candidate... I don't think you answered my no. question. Can you please answer the question, sir? Did you did you just ask me to run in my riding? If you're a conservative and you want to, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, secondly, I'm not what going makes to you think... the premise of your question. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think... Seriously, that there's actually going to be an election in the spring. What if, what I believe is the case, Justin Trudeau is just trying to ensure he can be propped up for another 18 months? What about that? The, uh, he knows that's not going to work because... Uh, I think it's uh, going to work. Hey, did, did you... The other day, I can't remember the... There's not going to be an election in the spring, Paul. There is not. There was a uh, liberal <laughs> MP. I, can't, I, I should know his name. I can't remember what it was. He had this little poem that he had made up for member statements... And one of the lines there was they were talking about how the conservatives tried to uh, get this bill passed to. Uh, you're you're uh, distracting from my questions, Paul. I have yeah. I still have one more important question. OK, OK. okay. Now, you, so wait, I, guy, I wait. He has this little rhyme and the rhyme says we beat the conservatives with the exact words. He said we beat the conservatives with the dippers in our pocket. All right. It shows you how much respect that they have. Last the question, and you just okay. got to answer the question, because you were going on about yep. uh, Justin Trudeau winning without getting the votes from the majority of Canadians, right? Mm-hmm. Like 33% or whatever. How, how, many, how much support did uh, Stephen Harper have? Uh, I'd have to go back. Uh-huh. But it wasn't 51%, was it? Uh, probably not. No, no, not probably not. It was not. No. 
Okay. okay. Like I say, I, I would have to go back. But keep in mind, what did Trudeau say? This will be the last I know he did. I know. Passed the post. All right. And as soon as he realized that the uh, popular vote went against him, all of a sudden that got dropped. I got you. Potato. I got you. Paul, Listen, I got to run. I got to get a news update. Have a great weekend. You too, pal. <laughs> My pal, Paul, there ain't, there will not be a spring election. Just stop this nonsense, okay? I would say something as hyperbolic as, if there's a spring election, I'll eat my shoe. But I'm saving that for 175 speed cameras by 2028. My shoes are going to remain on my feet. But I do not believe there will be a spring election. Paul seems to think so, but Paul thinks a lot of things over there in Preston now, doesn't he? Free Phones Friday continues. This is the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Fridays continues until 1 o'clock. That's when we sign off for another day. Well, 12.58 to be exact. So there is still time for you to participate. You see, Free Phones Friday is an opportunity for you to give us a call and you start the conversation. What's on your mind? Let's have a chat about it. 519-570-2545. Star 570. 1-800-570-5757. Fifteen and and that way, if you did not fall asleep while listening to our friend Paul drone on for four and a half minutes in the last segment, then you know you're all set. It's it's an absolute perfect thing if you're still awake. I say that because I I I love Paul like a brother. We kid around that way. Uh oh, why is my? I need my computer turned on, good sir. Is my computer on? You'd had my computer off. What I wanted to say was this. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone is now dumber for having listened to it. That's right. We don't get those four and a half minutes back, do we, Paul? I, and I know I can do that because Paul can take it. Back to the phones. Joe, good afternoon. Oh, hey, Mike. How are you? Is this the Paul show now or what? <laughs> no kidding, eh? It's the Paul show. Holy moly. <laughs> else wants to speak, but I guess Paul just gets four and a half minutes. You can... Thank you. Paul always has great great opinions, I think. Paul's always on it. He's telling every day. I love it. Anyways, I'll I'll keep this one short, but uh, the region, this this improved a lot of housing and a lot of apartments this week. 55 stories, King of Victoria, whatever. I want on Northfield where the crouch carpet was. I think there was one other one, but holy moly, we're going to get that stuff up when? By 2040? This is my concern, Joe. I'm with you on that. I I love the idea. And, well, I love it mostly. We're creating units. I'm with you. I don't know when. And also, I, who does everybody want to live in a 55-story condo tower? No. No, they do not. Oh, personally, I'd rather live in a uh, house. Even if it's a townhouse at this point, I don't want to live on the 55th story downtown Kitchener, Mike. I hear you. I with my family and my, my kids. I want to, you know, I want to just have a house, 
space to myself, not be sharing with everybody else. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Look, there is reason to commend our councils for getting done what they've gotten done, right? Guelph Council this week was talking about more than 500 units of housing approved in 30 minutes. Like, keep it going because we need it. Supply, supply, supply is a really big piece of the overall puzzle. While Guelph was approving 500 and change, the city of Waterloo, 4,000, that Kraus carpet redevelopment, among others, that Joe just mentioned. It, it, it's a lot of housing units. It's great. But all of it, and then you add the 600-plus in the 55-story tower, tower in downtown Kitchener. All of it is that kind of housing. We're going to need more. <laughs> We're going to need different kinds, too, because not everybody either wants to or can live in a place like that. There will be some, I was going to say single-family detached, multi-generational, I think, but there will be detached homes with a small-ish yard, certainly not what we've grown accustomed to. There will be some of that, too. But all we've been hearing about is tower after tower after tower after tower. We're creating the housing units we need. We do need the supply. I think we need to worry about or consider, start considering the spectrum of housing chris over to you next free phones friday yes yes uh, two things first go rangers go go rangers go yes my daughter used to sing the national anthem today nice yes what Second school thing what school lockner woods all right lockner woods let's hear it for lockner woods Heck yeah all right Next. Second thing, yeah. I work in HVAC plumbing, so I deliver to all the new condos, new builds. There's no way they're getting anything built the way they want in the numbers that they want. And as well, I heard it on this station that 80% of the condos that are built these days are owned by investment firms, not by individuals. So we're not building anything that people can buy. Uh, you know what's an excellent point, Chris? Yeah. All so, right. That's pretty much it. Go Rangers, and I'm going to come see you. I was going to say, will I see you at the game tonight? I love it. Yes, Good. you will. Okay. Thanks, Mike. See ya. See you tonight. See you at the game. Love it. That's what we should say. I wonder how many people in this town on a Friday say that. See you at the game tonight. I love Friday nights in Kitchener. Like, next week, I know it's going to be December the 22nd, and you're going to be thinking about, you know, Christmas and stuff. But, like, what are we going to do on Friday night? What are we going to do? I'll find a hockey game to watch or something. Okay, I'm going to go back to this call, but I'm going to I'm going to start it with a warning, Kyle. You best be careful. I will. I just want to say one thing. I apologize, but I'm not going to apologize for this, Devin. Thank you very much. You're a mean one. What is this, Mr. Grinch? Is that you? You really? Wow. Listen, apparently, Kyle, you've got a reputation. I didn't even push that button. Uh, Kyle hung up. I think. Devin, you just made Kyle hang up. I didn't make him hang up. Who? I did not play that music. Who played that music? That, that was me. That was me. <laughs> I think you made to him be, hang up. To be to be clear, the game plan was he'll come back on because he was a bit of a bit of a naughty list individual. Yes, with the he forbidden. Broke, he broke the rules. Yeah. So yeah. he just called up and he said, "Hey, if I just say I've got one thing to say to you, can you just fire Mister Grinch?" <laughs> and I choked a little bit. Didn't work out as ideally, but I think uh, I think it worked out well enough. All right. Listen, I love you for it. Don't ever admit that again. 
You should. I, I would rather you just own that you you made Kyle hang up. You made him go cry in the corner. That's what I want to hear from you next time, okay? <laughs> okay. You're a good man, though. You're honest. <laughs> Clearly, you're on the nice list. I would have been so much ruder about all of it. Well done by you, Devin Roberts. <laughs> oh, Kyle, you amuse me. John, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon to you, Mike. I was wondering if I should save this for Rant or Rave on Monday, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able, and I hate missing Rant or Rave. I might miss it on Monday uh, because I've been asked to play hockey in that time frame. Still haven't really assured my body if I'm capable of doing it, but I wanted to talk a little bit about hockey and about how quickly a lot of the big sponsors jumped off of the uh, sponsorship for Hockey Canada when that sexual assault charge came out and now all of a sudden my i guess rant if you if i can use that on a friday uh fast food chain tim hortons uh, telus corporation and the esso people have jumped back on and given their support to hockey canada um mike for me i'm just not satisfied i think it's still too early to sponsor i think there needs to be more transparency I think there needs to be more public accountability, especially when some of that taxpayer money was being used to, I guess, purposely protect some of those predators. And for this reason, those three companies will not get my support. I'm not a big wearer of Nike clothing, but I know Nike still has opted out. And I just wanted to get your thoughts and your feelings on this, because to me, at this point, it's basically a a slap in the hand. And I feel terrible for some of those victims who are still waiting for accountability. You know, John, I noticed as well how it seemed without a whole lot done on Hockey Canada's part. In fairness, there has been some progress, right? Yes. yes. But I, I agree. Now that the tournament's here and the sponsorship opportunity is right in front of them, Sure enough, they're they're back on board. I don't know how much of a direct line there is between government funding and that, um, I forget the name of the fund, but let's just call it a slush fund that Hockey Canada had accumulated. Because remember, Hockey Canada collects all sorts of fees from all sorts of organizations. Right. So, But there was some federal funding, which had been removed, frozen from them, right? So I get it. It, it is interesting, but I, I guess at the end of the day, right? Money talks, BS walks. Exactly. And I hope people stand up. I personally never, I don't drink coffee, so I, I've never used Timmy's before, but I certainly will not buy gas at Esso until something here gets resolved. And uh, as I was saying, I was hoping to save it for Monday, but I'm not sure about it. But uh, tonight, Mike, I won't be at the game, but I'll be listening to you. Uh, and my, oh, if I can just sneak in a quick rant, if anybody ever listens to the Boston Bruins, how is that play-by-play guy still on the air? He is boring. Mike, you should be in the NHL. We don't want to lose you here in in KW and and Waterloo Region, but boy, you are 10 times, 100 times better than that guy that is in the NHL during the games for the Boston Bruins. Go, Rangers, go. Thanks, John. I love that last line. Go, Rangers, go. Gosh, I love Fridays in this town. You're much too kind. I'll tell you, I'm exactly where I should and want to be, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, no question about it. And I will also just say, by way of returning compliments, I admire somebody who says, listen, I don't like the way this is going. And whether it's one individual, John's not, I mean, he's suggesting, hey, you too could uh, make a similar gesture by way of boycott. That's what John's going to do. I'm not going to buy gas here. I'm not going to buy coffee there. I'm not buying this particular 
clothing makers, clothing, all fair. And I admire you for standing on those principles personally. Good on you. Next we go to Grant, rant or rave, no wait, that's Monday. Grant, it's free phones Friday. Why do you think keep me waiting? I, listen, I there are other callers that were there before you. No, I said you didn't keep me waiting for two or three hours. <laughs> Listen, two or three hours. Like, you gonna talk nonsense, or are you gonna be? Are you gonna be honest with me? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what? You know what, Grant? You are fake news. Yeah. you are fake news. That's right. Two or three hours, you knucklehead. I'm gonna touch on two things. Okay. Uh. Yeah, it's too bad. The, I just read the newspaper a couple of days ago about the old Waterloo Inn. Their clothes. Their oh, clothes you didn't hear it on our show? No. Oh, our radio station was the first to report on that, I'm proud to say. But anyway, yes, the Waterloo Inn, or now the Inn of Waterloo before it announced its uh, closure. Yes. Yeah, I kind of miss that place because I used to work there. And Didn't you steal milk from there? Didn't you tell me that? Well, why not? It's... <laughs> Why not? Well, because it's not yours. That's why we don't steal things, Grant. Well, I earned it. Oh, you earned it. <laughs> I love it. You sound like me. I defend myself like that all the, the time. Rangers. I, you know what? If I had all the, if I had a lot of money, I would pick up. Uh, oh, what's that fellow's name? That fellow that was denied. Hunter Brustevich. I would pick him up. And I would you see how I did that? I'm like reading Grant's mind telepathically here. I would take him to the airport and... You would send him to Sweden to play for Team USA. You're going. You're darn right. He belongs there, doesn't he? And I'll keep on mentioning his name until... What's his name again? Hunter Perfect. Hunter... Oh, geez. That's okay. Bruce Stevich. It's a tough one. you got to get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep on saying it until these doodly birds over in... In America, get get it through their brains that enough is enough. Enough is enough. Grant, <laughs> thank you for that. I, speaking of the doodly birds in America, I'm, I'm just going to say again, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show today, but this bears repeating. What the hell was that third period last night in the Canada-U.S. game? Like, uh, the, the Team USA barely came inside Team Canada's blue line. We owned them. They had some good goaltending. And then the goofy power play late in the game that carries over into overtime. And then all of a sudden, it's, they were just lying in wait. It's like they did rope-a-dope on us last night. You Canadian women do not hang your heads about anything. What an effort. Team US, I've never seen uh, an American team so timid. As timid hockey is what it was. Not Tim Betts. Timid. Timid hockey. Anyway, that's my two cents on that. Bill, Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hi, Bill. Uh, I want to take you back to last weekend. Oh, I'd love to go back to last weekend. Yes, sir. It was a great weekend. It was. It was. And they got five out of six points. Sure did. But, Mike, did you see anything in the paper, the record about that? Not a word. Oh, no. There was a a story definitely on Monday following the... Oh, there wasn't. I looked faithfully. Really? There was not. Oh. I thought... I thought... Okay. I read the paper every day. I thought there was. The Guelph game finishes late. They can't get that one in, but they could have got the two Brantford games. There was nothing. Hmm. So I think you should... 
poke your friend Josh Brown and wake him from his long sleep and tell him to get the ding-dang pen out of his pocket and write something about these Rangers. All right, listen. They deserve it. All right. You know what, Bill? Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. And you know what else? I will. I will just, you know, rattle the cage of my good buddy Brownie. Josh Brown, who's the beat reporter for the Waterloo Region record covering the Kitchener Rangers. Because you know what he do you know what he did? Did you see what he did? I'll tell you what he did. That guy, that's so and so, who I'm so nice to, I get along with so well, can you tell? He wrote his column last week. He calls it the OHL twenty one, which I love because there are twenty teams in the OHL. So he has a thought, twenty different thoughts, and then he adds one bonus thought because he's brownie. He has to have you know, it's cool. I love it. You know what he did? He gave a shout out to this podcast called the OHL in sixty. Look, and full full marks here. Like it's a it's a fine podcast, but it's not the OHL podcast, is it? That would just so happen to be the podcast that I host. But no, Brownie, he's going to snub me. He's going to snub me, that guy, and give a shout out instead to his vast readership about the OHL and sixty podcast. Oh, Bill, let me tell you. I understand the challenges in the newspaper business. And just to be sure, I, I looked back, and you're spot on. There was no Rangers story last Monday. There had to be, because I think the Carson Rakoff story showed up on Tuesday. I'm just double-checking all of this stuff. But anyway, I think Josh does terrific work. I will remind him this much. Brownie, your coverage is missed when it can't make the newspaper. Folks count on that stuff. And I can tell you, he was there. He was typing his little fingers off on Sunday at the Sleeman Center when the Rangers beat the Guelph Storm to pick up their fifth of six points. So it's just the way the industry unfortunately works in newspaper publishing now that whatever the deadlines are means it doesn't always make it to the print publication. But I promise you, Brownie was there, Brownie was working, and... He snubbed my podcast, but that's the kind of... Yeah, whatever, Brownie, whatever. See if I sit with you in the media room tonight. Quick break. Free Phones Friday continues. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. What would I do without friends like Craig Herner? My buddy Craig, who is the uh, vice chair of the volunteer committee for Hockey Helps the Homeless, shared with me when I was lamenting a moment ago, what am I going to do next Friday? Because there won't be a Kitchener Rangers game. Craig says, hey, dummy. Okay, he didn't say that, but he should have, could have. I would have accepted it. You should go to the charity hockey game between the AAA U16 Kitchener Junior Rangers and the Waterloo Regional Police Service Blue Crew, because it's in support of just that charity, including One Roof. So it's just a $2 ticket. It's taking place at Activa. All proceeds to One Roof Youth Services. Next Friday night, 7 o'clock, who doesn't want to see a game like that? And speaking of friends, Greg Bignall, who brought it first to our attention, his son Adam, who's now a member of Waterloo Regional Police, is going to be playing along with Greg's team the U16 AAA Kitchener Junior Rangers. Craig, thank you for reminding me of that. Go to the game next Friday night. Just two bucks. 
and proceeds to One Roof Youth Services. It's going to be lots of fun to watch that hockey club skate circles around the cops because that's what's going to happen. You watch. All right, back to the phones. Sophia, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, many times I listen about police, more money. We neighbors have uh, one uh, neighbor is uh, was by law officer and now is police officer. We live here 17 years. How many times by law officer, police, uh, they drinking on balcony, time work? A motorcycle uh, city stay on the road, they drinking many times. One time we called police. And uh, they right now stop doing this. So we got ticket. Sorry, I, what? I told his sorry, mother, Sophia. What did they stop doing? Uh, stop uh, drinking here. They uh, had radio. Radio station told them so somebody need by law, and they told so told them so they are busy. What they busy? What they did? Barbecue and drinking. Do you think so? We need more police. We thinking so need more control. Okay, I I understand what you're saying, and really that's a bylaw issue, right? Not a, a policing issue, unless of course there are behaviors that result from that drinking that make it a policing issue. And listen, here here's my take on that because I I get where you're coming from when you call and they say, look, it's not going to be the highest priority that people are having a barbecue and too many drinks next door, that kind of thing because there are incredible demands on our police services considering the volume of calls that they receive. They are forced to prioritize. Thank you, though, very much for sharing your concern here on Free Phones Friday. We're at that time, uh, the time to get you over to the City News Centre for an update, and then I've heard Rob Snow going through his uh, vocal warm-ups, A-E-A-O-U, and all that other good stuff. He's getting ready for... Now you know, and he'll be with you for the next couple of hours right here on the radio station. Paul Fixter and I will be at the rink with you tonight. Pre-game coverage for Rangers Greyhounds starts at 6.35. Rangers talk follows the game until the late, late hours here on a Friday night. So please do join us for that if you can't be at the game. And if you're at the game, make sure you say hi. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.